Now entering Nerdist.com. True it. With a guy named Kevin. True it. And this other guy, Steve. True it. From the TV and the movies. And now this podcast stream. True it. They're gonna get chewy. True it. They might even get me. True it. But they're gonna get funky on this podcast thing. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Lemmy. And on behalf of Kevin Heffernan, I'd like to welcome you all to another episode of Chewing It with Kevin and Steve. I was just imagining chewing a slice of New York pizza. And the reason for that is because we have a very, 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 very special guest that we had to travel all the way to New York City to get. I'm not going to tell you why this guest is so special, because you're going to hear it when we introduce him in the actual podcast. And y'all don't need to be doubling up on all this information. So before I do get into any of that podcast business, let me just do our weekly plugs, okay? Uh, We've got some Midwest tour dates and some Pacific Northwest tour dates. So June, June 19th, Kansas City. We're going to be in Kansas City, Missouri at the Riot Room. June 20th, Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Miramar Theater. June 21st, Chicago, Illinois at Abbey Pub. June 22nd, Des Moines, Iowa, Woolies. June 23rd, Minneapolis, Minnesota at Mill City Nights. So that's it for that little stretch. Come on out, Midwest. We can't wait to see you. Now we go to Pacific Northwest in July, July 18th, San Francisco at Cobbs. July 19th, Portland, Oregon at the Hawthorne Theater. And July 20th, Seattle, Washington at Sunset Tavern. Then July 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, we are going to be in Vancouver, and those specific venues will be announced very shortly. Uh, For all this information, up-to-date, up-to-the-moment information, you can uh, find us on our website, www.heffernandlemmy.com. Also, our Facebook page, Heffern and Lemmy. Um, Our Twitter accounts, I'm at Steve Lemmy. Kevin is at Rules. Heffernan Rules. What a dumb Twitter handle. Instagram, we're at Heffernan Lemmy, where we are slowly but surely building up a stockpile of hilarious photos. Um, For those of you who are asking about Fatty and Taddy, still stuck in just a little bit of legal stuff, and we're going to figure that out really soon. You are going to see it. You are going to see it. Um, Okay. So, with no further ado, our... Guest this week is screenwriter Andy Bellin. He hails from New York City. He is the screenwriter of the upcoming uh, biopic Lovelace about Linda Lovelace. And uh, he has a lot of other projects in the can, and he's a very special guy to me. And you're going to hear about it. So here we go. Everyone, a new episode of Chewing It. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Chewing It with Kevin and Steve. This is Steve Lemmy. I'm Kevin Heffern. And uh, we have a special guest here today. Um, so, by the way, this podcast is called Chewing It. Yeah. You knew that, though, right? I, I did. You I, totally I, knew that. I listened to a podcast. Uh, okay. Like our, one of our podcasts no, no, or a podcast in the world? A podcast. Okay, yeah, okay. but yeah, our podcast. Sense. It was Steve Carell. That it, was, it. it was very funny. That makes sense. What's his called? <laughs> it's not Chewing It, is it? Know. Yeah, it's just Chewing It with Steve Carell. Um, Christmas Carell's. Nice. I don't know what I would name mine if I was nice. Steve Carell. 
Okay, so uh, you just you were t- you were handling my microphone. I was. Don't touch my microphone. I put a gr- little green microphone closer Damn to his you. mouth. Uh-huh. Um, we we chew it. It's called chewing it. We like to chew it from time to time during the podcast. <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly? <laughs> you just do this. Obviously. Do I have to do it? Also? And now yeah, we yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah As a guest, you have to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. But not that. You don't have to. Some people do. A lot of people. How do you chew? But it's this sounds to me like sounds like I'm jerking off. Okay. That's what people have said, too. It's fair. Yeah. So it's fair. now I'm just boring because other people have said No, no, no. Too. But, I mean, I think you're – it's, it's, it's accurate. <laughs> you are, what you're saying is accurate. Okay. Do, you, do you chew like a normal person with those false teeth of yours? I really, we're, <laughs> really? We're going right there immediately. They're not false teeth. <laughs> They're not falsies? No. They're pseudo them, teeth. Most of them are caps or crowns, we like to say, in the dentistry business. How okay. about the ones that got knocked out when, when we were 10 years Only old? one of them got knocked out. It wasn't two? No, it's like a half a tooth. You know, it's like a gold post now because there is a tooth left there. But there's <laughs> it's only like a vampire one, I only teeth. have two missing teeth, uh, but I have 11 fake teeth. Okay. Wrap your melon around it's that. It's got to be a record. Is that a record. 11 fake yeah. teeth. Why do you have 11 fake teeth? Because I had a couple knocked out and <laughs> I was just, you know, I just have bad teeth. You got bad teeth. What are you going to do? Okay. Yeah. No, no, look, I come from a family of bad teeth people. Argentina. My dad, you know, gnawed on sugar cane his whole life. He's right. got no real teeth left. And, and an uncircumcised penis. <laughs> and he has an uncircumcised <laughs> so, penis. Here we go. Here we go. Well, I mean, you know, we went. We gnawed on yeah. that. Okay. So, so let, me, let me introduce you then and, yes. and explain why we're going at each other so hard. <laughs> okay. Um, people, today we have a, uh, a, an accomplished screenwriter. He has written uh, some pause. films. <laughs> you have to like take check the pause notes for what I've done. Well, I wanted to see if I was going to introduce you by name now, or if I was going to wait till the end. I'm going to wait till the end. Okay. Um, you have written a couple of movies yes. that have been made. Now you yes. you wrote a movie. Big one coming out. Yes, big, big one, one coming, coming out. out. August 9th in theaters. August everywhere. 9th. Okay, yes. we're going to get there. We're going to get good. There. Good. Okay. We have a, uh, you wrote a movie called Trust with Clive Owen and Catherine Keener and, and Catherine Keener and Viola Davis, uh, directed by David Schwimmer. Yes. We should talk about that too. Okay. We just did. Just we're going to more. Okay. Yeah, we're going to more. Came out on a Lifetime recently. <laughs> yeah, it was a Lifetime movie. <laughs> and I'd like to say two and a half stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that, that's right in the Super Troopers. Right there. That's what you're saying. Like, I think we've only ever gotten two and a half stars. Yeah, like 35% on Rotten Tomato. <laughs> yes. Plus, you know, we're in the 80s in Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, you are? Yeah. Well, it's criti- critically claimed. I mean, you yeah, tackled to see it. a difficult issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You still haven't said his name yet. I'm, I'm, I have a little pet peeve when you start talking too much and you can't say the guy's okay. name. Say but, the guy's okay. name. This is, this is Andy Bellin. Yay. Yes. yes. I would like to say Andrea De La Croce. Spalding Bellin. There you go. <laughs> Except it's Andre, but whatever. Well, it's funny because on your birth certificate, it's spelled Andrea. So. No, it's really not. Yeah, it actually is because no, I've seen really, it. It no, actually is. It actually is because okay. I've seen it. Okay. Right. Um, Andy also wrote a script for the movie Lovelace. Yes, with yeah. Amanda Seyfried, Sharon Stone. That's James the big Franco, movie. The big movie coming yeah. out August 9th theaters everywhere. Uh, man, that's it. I'm distributed by I'm, Harvey Weinstein. I'm excited. Everybody. I'm excited for that movie. I'm excited to talk about that movie. I can show you pictures that will get you really excited. Oh, it was funny because I tried to show one of those pictures to uh, to Bill Paxton, and you know Amanda played his daughter in, uh, uh, in Big in Love. Big Love. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda Seyfried, it may be the best person in human history to promote this movie because she is just so cool. Am I allowed to curse? And gorgeous. Yeah, you can curse. She's so fucking great. And she's, she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous and hot and yeah. cool and just everything you ever wanted in a person to promote this yeah. movie. She's just epic. And Peter Sarsgaard, who plays her husband, is so sick. He is just, it's the performance of his lifetime. So. We went to the same high school. Yeah, he doesn't know who you are, though. I know that. No, but he, <laughs> what, he's not a Broken Lizard fan? 
He's never uh, seen Super Troopers or Beer Fest? He probably has. I mean, I can. We, you want to text him right now and find out? Yeah, yeah find text out. him. <laughs> yeah. And then find out if he knows I went to the same high school as him. Yeah. <laughs> Sarsgaard. Yeah. And, then, and then ask him if he wants to be in Super Troopers, too. And whatever he says, say, just text him immediately and say, just kidding, they don't want you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? No, I do. He's like one of the greatest actors. No, I do. I think he's I love that guy. Yeah. And he's a cool guy, too. Okay. Yeah, he's, he was great in Boys Don't Cry. Creepy. And that Green Lantern. Wait. <laughs> really? Lantern, you went yeah. there? I, well, I like Green Lantern. He loves it. He loves it. And we're, we're going to talk more about Lovelace. Okay, sure. Okay. Um, okay. Aside from the screen rating, you are also an accomplished poker player. That's correct. You yeah. have written a book on poker, poker. and What's the name of it? It's called Poker Nation. Oh, man. And it you was have a uh, bestseller in 2002. We'll uh, talk Harper about that, too. Collins. We'll talk about that, too. Oh, so, but I, could, I have to stop yeah, now. No, just, just, just kind of tease it, and then we'll come back to it. Poker okay. Nation. Poker Nation by Andy Bell. By Andy Bell. <laughs> Harper Collins yeah. presents. Um, you also played in the World Series of Poker. Many times. Get out of here. How really? many times have you played? Probably seven, but, you know, before it was the enough. ridiculous. Enough. <laughs> just tease it. Just tease it. Just tease it. No, just no. Tease no. It. We'll seven. come back to that. No, we'll come back to that. <laughs> God, I, I, Are we I have just, all kinds of questions. It's like a surveys class. Well, what it is, here's the problem. Like, Kevin, let's do the French Revolution. Right. Okay, she's dead. Now let's move on. <laughs> Perfect. No, no, Kevin, see, we actually have a problem. Kevin and I like to give the resume but then we keep stopping to talk and we wind up like talking about one thing for the first 30 minutes and then we start rushing right. through everything how the fuck long is this thing gonna be oh <laughs> that's what Paxton said it's just starting bro oh great I hope you put some money in the meter right. okay so um, poker. no I, it's also my my law background I feel like I need to be in an orderly fashion what Me, law yeah. background I went to law school. No, you didn't. I did. Dude, he passed the bar. We talked about this every week on our podcast. You should listen. He passed the bar in two I states. I did. Carell didn't mention it. <laughs> he doesn't know him? No. Carell has not seen our did movies? You, did you go to high school with him? <laughs> no. I'm sure he's a fan of Super Troopers. Yeah. He definitely is. Carell. Um, okay, so aside from the screenwriting and the poker, yes. this person is also the biggest prick I've ever met. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bigger yes. than me? Bigger than you. Bellin's a bigger prick than I am? Well, he's the OP. He's the original prick. Okay. Yeah, since, you know, coming to you since 1982. True. Well, I'm, I mean, I've been a prick all my life, too. So it's okay. Yeah, but he's known me longer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, That's and exactly. He, he's more, he's like a rich prick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a poor prick? <laughs> you, you're just, you know, you're like a, connect, like, you're a blue collar prick. Prick. Okay. And Andy is, you know. A rich prick, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And he also <laughs> happens to be my best friend from growing up. There you go. In New York City. There you yeah. go. Oh, Andy man, we can get Andy Bell and everybody. <laughs> Andre, how many times have I caught him masturbating? Just on one. I hand don't know how many. One hand, just a, one hand. You alone. actually never have, right? And I, I only I, masturbate I, on one hand alone. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You've only caught me masturbating zero times. Well, you were about to masturbate last time I caught that you doesn't masturbating, count. right? Because I started laughing. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, here's the here's the thing about this. Uh, no, let's move on. Go on. Go on. Yeah. Speaking no, no, about masturbation. Yeah, yeah. By the way, we're into the podcast, and and I'm the quarterback. Okay. Okay. I see. <laughs> okay. And I tell it to every guest who gets mouthy with me. <laughs> okay. Me, me and Paxson better shut up. Yeah. yeah well, it's just like you I, told Paxson too. He did. Yeah. Like I direct the pace of it. Got it. Sure. Got it. Okay. Got it. Sure. Here's the thing. So Andy grew up in a house, and they had they had a, a long balcony. Yeah. That spanned a few different rooms. Okay. In, in, in rich. Person parlance. That's a. It's called a terrace. Ah, a long I balcony. I see. It's a balcony. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Got it. Yeah. And uh, and so. What about a veranda? Do they yeah. call that too? Yeah. Can they call it a veranda? It's, or it, as where it seems from a ledge, you know, a very <laughs> okay. long, wide ledge. Right. Yeah. Where pigeon shit. Yeah. yeah. The fire escape it. is yeah. what we call it. Where I'm from. <laughs> All right. Um, but I claimed that I was going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I went into the bathroom that was off this. Uh, terrace. Yes. Okay. I was far away from Andy's room. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I I don't know what. I can't remember what I was doing. I don't know what came over. What do you mean? You can't remember what you were doing. I can't remember what. I, well, I you know I I sat down on the yeah, toilet. Okay. And I was you know I was preparing to do 
a few things, but also I heard this laughter coming from someplace. <laughs> okay. And I looked over towards the window, yeah. and Aunt Bellin was out there watching me. This was, this was two years ago, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I told him I was going to take a, take a poop. And were you? Uh, no. Okay. And so what were you doing when he was laughing at you? I was sitting on the can. No, you were not. You were combing your hair, you freak. <laughs> you were combing your hair? He wants to look good for himself as he's jerking Maybe off. Maybe he wanted to look good for you. <laughs> no, he was looking in a mirror, combing his hair, going for it. Shit, well, really? Did you keep a comb in your back pocket at that I, time? I did. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, I was 13 or something when this happened. Or 14? No. No, because we, we moved it. Yeah, it's 13. You were I had 13. long hair parted down the middle. Yes, you did. And I had, a, I had a technique, which is I'd take the comb, I'd go once on the right side all the way back. Okay. I'd go once on the left side all the way back. And then I'd... <laughs> both hands, both yeah, hands. Two hands on the comb now, comb parallel to the floor. I would take it from the middle, okay. front middle, and pull it all the way back. And then I would, like, <laughs> arrange my bangs. He would feather it down. <laughs> okay. Just so. Yeah. All right. Sweet hair part. So I did that. And that's what he was laughing at. Well, well, I was there to scare him, <laughs> okay. but, you know, okay. it just it just kept getting better and better and better. Oh, see, I, I thought it was, you caught him masturbating. Well, he was essentially, no, he was no. jerking well, his hair yeah, off. I don't know why, you're, you're actually not, you're losing, you're missing out on the crucial detail, was that then I did reach slowly down into my pants. Yes. And that's when Andy started laughing. That's when laughing. I started laughing. Okay. As like a warning, like, I'm here, or, I mean, didn't you really see where it went? To, oh, no, I, I wanted to see where I was going to go, but you I could just, I could not control it. Okay. It was too funny. I mean, how often do you get to see a guy feather comb his hair uh -huh. and then, and jerk, then off. jerk off to himself yeah. in the and mirror? Honestly, it's only a couple of times. <laughs> I tell you, there's only a couple of people, and I think Lemmy is a real prime candidate yeah. if I had to guess who would do that kind of thing. Sure. Know? Hey, I'm horny, and yeah, I like I to look good. Speaking of jerking off and horny, yeah. Okay, let's talk about Lovelace. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to our background, but we yeah. want to talk. But let's plug this movie. I want to. I have like all kinds of questions yeah. about yes, this movie. Yes, so I'm very. I'm psyched to see it. I'm interested in it. Yes, right. let's talk about. I it. I have yes. one important question about this movie. Okay. You do see her naked. How? Yeah, tell us how they did the blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that I'm actually not going to talk about that because it is so perfectly shot and it is so perfectly acted out and it is such a fantastic scene. That it's. I'm just. <laughs> well, no, you have to. You have to. You have to tease him a little bit. Where, you know? Where's your comb? A foreplay. Get a little foreplay going. <laughs> about go go back. Like how did you? How, like how did you get that job? Was it a, an open writing assignment? Did you? It was pitch an open. Did you? It was an open writing assignment. Okay. My agents uh, sent me out for it. Yeah. And there were a couple other writers, and I I had a very good take. Because so you go into the room and they say, what's your take on this? Because there are a couple of different ones floating around, like a couple of different projects there about Little were, and floating this, around. This project originated, you know, that, I mean, there have been people trying to make this movie yeah. since 1995. And yeah. there was another project that had Lindsay Lohan attached that mm -hmm. was also a very good script um, that I actually never read until after the movie. But um, it was it's a very difficult story to tell because Linda's life was very fragmented. Yeah. Uh, am I allowed to, like... Speak. Hey, you can, yeah, you can speak. useful sentences and, and Please stuff. do. You've yeah, got okay, the green light. Okay. Now we are into the filmic portion of right, our discussion. Right, this is the erudition and stuff. Now this is the stuff now where people go. really want to okay. listen to, not that other stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so that Her she, life was fragmented. It yeah. was fragmented. Yeah. She she was really a Catholic high school girl. Yeah. Then she became the first international superstar of pornography. Yeah. Then she came out a couple of years later and said that, what you were watching was me as a victim, that my right. husband was holding me captive, that I was abused, that you're watching me get raped when you're watching Deep Throat. Yeah. So she was a victim. And then years later, in sort of recovery, she decided that she was going to end up as an activist for the women's rights movement and ended up being co-opted by the the women of, against pornography right, to, to and Gloria Steinem and all that kind of stuff. Right. So she lived these 
really full existences. And the difficulty for us was how to tell the full story. Right. And also how to do justice to the fact that when she came out and said, hey, I was abused and you're watching me get raped. A lot of people were like, actually, I was on set, and you seemed pretty happy, yeah. and you could have run away anytime you wanted. Yeah. That was the interesting about, like, I, I kind of read a little about her, or I have in the past, and it sounded like no one knows what the true story is, which, from a screenwriter's perspective, whose, you know, point of view do you take? You know what I mean? And, like, is was she a victim? Was she not a victim? How do you decide to do that? Well, you know? look, I mean, my personal feelings was that the, it, she was mostly a victim, but she, you know, she was flown to Paris first class, and she slept with a, a number of very famous people and seemed yeah. to be very happy about it. So there were times that she was sort of enjoying the process, but most of the time she was a captive and a victim and, and terrified. Because there were these stories about her, like her husband holding a gun to her head, True while story. she performed these things. True story. And, you know, I think, I think in, his, in his words, too, has he admitted stuff like that? No, because there was a lawsuit, and uh, he's dead, but yeah. uh, you know, he, he never fully apologized. And he was a really incredible sort of story because the story really isn't Linda in a sense because she was just a Catholic high school girl who was very pretty and very sweet and very naive and met the wrong guy. What was amazing about Chuck was that right after Linda, he then met Marilyn Chambers and turned her into the second most famous porn star of that era. So he was like this porn Svengali. Right. And And he married her. Married her and turned her into a porn star. And she was a legitimate model. She was the ivory soap girl, 99.9% pure. So he had this power over women that was really scary. Yeah. Um, so and Sarsgaard is so good at it. It's yeah. Un- Played by Peter Sar- Sarsgaard, and uh, he's so unbelievable yeah. that uh, it's it's just his best role ever. Um, so, so, like, what was what was your take when you went in? What we wanted to do, and, and, you, and let me just like so so people who are listening, when when writers when there's a project going on out there, studios or whoever is financing the film will bring in a number of different writers to give. A pitch, basically, about how they would tell a story, what they think is interesting about the story. And what I did was that I, I thought it was important to pay respect to each individual section of her life. And we did that by showing a number of the same scenes over again, but from different perspectives. So that we showed it from Linda the porn star, and then later on we showed it uh, from Linda the victim, and then finally as Linda the the sort of evangelist somebody who has actually conquered her fears fears and moved on right so it's really clever the the directors are rob epstein and jeffrey friedman who won oscars for the documentary of harvey milk and these guys are just so talented and they ended up sort of taking my ideas and mixing them with theirs and it just turned out unbelievable that's awesome so so but just to go back so you go in the room you sell your take yeah they want they want they hire you as the writer. Yes. And then you have a writing partner or no? No. You did it on your own. Yes. And so you go off and do you do research? Had you done research? Like do you watch her movies? Do you read her her I biographies? Did. Do you what do you do? How do you um, I, I was familiar with the source material. Okay, like sure. Sure. Well we had actually Maybe remember, we when were. we were kids, I yeah, remember I somehow it. we remember, got somehow from my father, from uh, my pervert father. Yeah. As, as what do you mean your dad somehow. had all those movies? Yeah, and some homemade ones too. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Andy's dad was like he was our main educator. Like he, you know, let's be honest, yeah, he taught this, me how to roll is, a joint. Right, <laughs> this is what weed tastes like. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Andy and I had we had a, a scam that we wanted to uh, sell oregano joints to like fr- freshmen. Yeah, we, okay. were, we were classy. And did you do that? We did, but you we know, first needed to learn how to roll a joint. Oh, uh, okay. I think we were actually in like eighth grade. Yeah, so, so who house. taught whom? My dad taught us how to roll a joint. Oh, so your dad? Okay, yeah, my, I dad, thought maybe... my dad can roll awesome joints. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 it's that Amherst education. And so he was a part of your scam then. 
or well, did he not know that? unwittingly, and okay. I think the statute of limitations is over. So. We're, he, we're okay. Yeah. We're okay. But, uh, okay, so he had a copy of Deep Throat. Yeah, so I'd seen Deep Throat a number of times. And uh, By the way, Deep Throat, the movie, is actually a, a great plot. Yes, it is, but it's an awful porn. Fair enough, but this is like, you know, as far as your, yeah, it, your porn conceits go... But also we're talking about 1972, 1971 okay. was, was the shooting. And if yeah. you're not familiar with the story, you know, most pornograph- pornographic films of that time were basically eight minute uh, what they called loops. So it was right. just two people fucking and you, you know, black and white and there was and no you story. you have to go to the theater and you have to sit in the theater yeah. and watch it in the theater with was, a bunch of people who were jacking And it was, it was designed yeah. to have people jerk off and walk away. And these wonderful guys, uh, Butchie Pereno and Jerry Damiano, came up with the idea that they wanted to make a film. And I swear to God, this was the pitch. They were going to make a film that after you jerked off, you stayed to see the end. <laughs> that was the pitch. <laughs> That's their take on That's the That's their take. Yeah. So they they... Ended up writing a story that uh, Jerry Jerry wrote a forty four or a forty four fucking page script as he liked to describe it yeah. um, about a woman who enjoyed sex but didn't enjoy it in the way she knew everybody else was enjoying it. Went to see a doctor and the doctor said, "Aha! I have discovered your problem. Right. The problem is your clitoris is in the back of your throat. Right, so, nine inches, thirteen inches. There was like a specific. I remember when we watched it together, side yeah, by side. There was a yeah, was nine, nine inches deep is the okay. the sword swallower as the the movie was originally titled. Right, um, and she and the Harry Reams, who was the the male lead, the male lead yeah. who sadly just passed away uh, about a week ago or maybe a month ago and um, also has his uh, a very interesting story yeah he was a, he was a nice guy i mean uh he he was a he was arrested well, we can do this later yeah, but yeah. he was arrested for indecency and he was sort of the supreme court case that uh yeah. that allowed for for distribution of pornographic material i mean didn't he essentially become the target yeah, he was or? arrested. He was yeah. arrested for, uh, I think it was interstate commerce or something very complicated. It ended up going to the Supreme Court saying that this was a violation of indecency. And then he was able to, you know, we were able to make pornography. So, uh, the you know, Linda, Linda then joyfully gives him head yeah. and gets off. Right. And it's the bombs going off. And, right. and she discovers her fireworks. purpose in life. Yeah. And... Linda, Chuck had taught her a technique that he had learned. Chuck had been in the, uh, I think in the army, and he was stationed in Korea. And he had picked up, as he used to like to say, he picked up a technique in the Orient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And these women would do exactly what he said. And it was a technique of deep-throating uh, while, while giving head. And, right. and as Amanda has described in many an interview, it's like trying to sing. You know, it's <laughs> opening your throat. Amanda says this. She is right. that awesome. For us, it's, it's like you try to chug beer. Right. Chug beer. right, or your yeah. case, a lollipop. That's correct. What? What? Popsicle. But you can, can you open your throat, Kev? Uh... Somewhat to to chug a beer a little bit. Not, yeah. I mean, not we know there. people. We know yeah, we know guys who can, can. But you know, some people have that skill. I don't have a clitoris in the back of my throat. How, How do you know? Are you sure? How do you know? Because um, I've eaten some fucking hot dogs, bro. <laughs> I've had some. So some you sausage. swallow hot dogs? Yeah, whole. I don't. I don't chew them. A foot long. <laughs> his clitoris right, is right. twenty feet down his belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my stomach. My clitoris. Yeah. Um, see, you have an orgasm every time you eat a good meal. I, I do. That's yeah. why I chew and moan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's chew it. Chew it. Mm-hmm. Me again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go. Um, but no, but well, I, so back to the research of it. So, like, yes, what? Yes. Now, um, I was pretty familiar with pornography in general just yes, because okay. I was yeah. a fan of the medium. <laughs> and um, Deep Throat is an interesting idea. I was very happy that it 
sort of broke barriers in the sense that it was a it was a wonderful First Amendment tool. Yeah. Um, the problem was that Linda was abused. She was paid one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars for a movie that putatively grossed, I think, six hundred and sixty sure. million dollars, which I don't believe, but. Yeah. You know, stories of mob money laundered and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And of course, the sad part is even for the $1,250, Chuck stole every penny of it and Linda yeah. never yeah. never saw a cent. So uh, that was that was sort of an awful part. But the the story was wonderful. But if you go back, I'm pretty familiar with modern day porn. And, yeah. it, you know, there are a lot of really great looking people with very little hair. Right. Deep Throat was very hairy. <laughs> very, hairy. Very, yeah. very hairy right. and not so great looking people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... But that's not the case in the movie because Amanda. Is no, Amanda's pretty hot. Right. Um, but like, uh, I mean, none of the principals are alive anymore, or were alive when you were writing it the is movie, so right? So strange. But everybody died during the movie. Oh, okay. Uh, There's a car accident. There was a Linda's right? dad was alive. He died. Okay. Um, uh, the two reporters who did the original um, in- interviews and co-wrote books with her, they died during it. Everybody died. Were you able to talk to any of these people before they died, or was no, it? Or I did got, you? I, or? Got, I got source material. I got interviews okay. of theirs and stuff like that. There was. There's. Yeah. Uh, we were lucky enough. Linda has a lawyer named Catherine McKinnon who represented her throughout life, and also is this legendary feminist lawyer, and was a Yale Law School professor. Yeah. And I swear to God, her her day job is that she's a war crimes prosecutor at the Hague. Okay. Like, you do not mess with Catherine McKinnon. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. And she um, represented Linda. And also oversaw my writing. So, yeah. um, okay, so, right. so this oh, was did. done, this so she was was done with the blessing, the blessing of the estate? Yeah, the estate and Linda's lawyer, who okay. you do not mess with. Yeah. So, um, so it was a favorable portrayal of her? No, it was an accurate her. portrayal. Okay. I mean, it, yeah, it, there it you was go. 100% accurate. Did you hear that answer right there? That was good. That's okay. Andy Bellin. Right there. It was a setup. Yeah, <laughs> he's holding up a sign. <laughs> um, and yes. you know, Linda's kids were there. She saw it. They saw it at Sundance, and they were really happy. So, well, then, did that make it hard for you to explore the, uh, you know, well, the I confusion not, about what happened or the discrepancies? No, over what because happened, I think that the, the, those issues are are, are bold faced, regardless whether I'm talking about them or not. These kids are well aware of them. They're you know mm-hmm. free thinking, autonomous people who have access to the internet. They know what's going on. So, yeah. It's it's out there, and I think they they would have seen it as as cheap or pandering if we hadn't discussed this. Sure. So. How old are her kids? They're uh, wow. I think late twenties. So so they were born well after her. She had retired. Yeah, retired. But Linda never escaped that movie. I mean, as yeah. she said, she spent seventeen days of her life in pornography and has spent the rest of her life living it down. That no matter where she went, she was working at like fucking Walgreens and stuff, and then yeah. some kid would recognize her and start like pretending to jerk off and then she'd have to quit right so do you cover the that span of the in the movie or uh, post you know that that was originally in the script and we shot some of it it just it was just too much so it ended up didn't not making it in and so what time period do you guys cover or is that am i liberty to ask you that yeah you're at liberty i can say go fuck yourself go ahead go ahead and go fuck yourself talk to attorney mckinnon (laughs) when you do that yeah are you familiar with the hague (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we cover from when she, when Chuck first met her, so she was a teenager, yeah. um, to her, basically her, she testified before Congress, yeah. which was the 80s. Against pornography? Yeah, and yeah. also just explaining that not just anti-porn, although she was anti-porn, but she was also trying to say that the people involved in pornography need protection as well because this, it was wi- widely unlicensed. And today there's almost a union. I mean, they yeah. Health checks and it's mm-hmm. it's mostly condoms. Because, yeah, it's the it's the work that Linda did and and yeah. Catherine as well. Huh. 
Do you, uh, uh, I was going to ask about the the selling of the movie, or do you, do you have uh, other ones about that about the making? Uh, no, no, no. I wanted to talk. Yeah, about I, I hear that's a, a cool story. And so you guys, you shot this film. They shot it independently, or do they? Yeah, I mean, we, we had a studio behind us with Millennium Films. Yeah, sure. Who uh, the sort of guy who runs it, Avi Lerner, is a yeah. really sort of wonderfully colorful guy, and they make you know the Expendables and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they released the last movie that uh, the Baby Makers. Jay yeah, and I did. they yeah. end up falling in love with very few sort of passion projects and this happened to be one of sure, them sure. and uh avi actually gave us a license to really make this great movie and you know avi's pretty smart we with the on the strength of the cast we've sold we, we've sold a lot of the uh the, the foreign rights and then we took it to sundance and had no distributor and we very easily could have walked out of sundance so uh, millennium doesn't distribute no we, okay. we were distributed by uh weinstein okay. well, so before, but what so there's a good story is that a well before before just before we get to sundance so how, how did it come together you got amanda attached first is that the, no the, the first, the first person we had attached was uh uh kate hudson okay to oh. play to play linda and then she got pregnant oh. and did not want to sure know, you know and then we had olivia wilde okay uh, and then she ended up going off and like saving the world and doing something wonderful for children. And <laughs> yeah, was was uh, John Carter from Mars going to play Mitch Trainer at any point in time? He wanted to Chuck Trainer. Um, Chuck Trainer. I mean, uh, who's Mitch Trainer? Uh, is he a, uh, is he a, a uh, gymnast? That's Mitch, Mitch Gaylord. Gaylord. Okay, go, go, <laughs> do it, right. Velen, go. Uh, <laughs> he he was he gave like the best audition I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, who did um, the Taylor uh, Taylor, Taylor Kitsch? Kitsch, yeah, the kid was awesome. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, but then we just ended up with Sarsgaard. But was, this is like this was before he came out with uh, with Battleship and John Carter from Mars. And I think did well, he, was, Avi, he did Friday Friday Night Lights. No, no, I know, I know. But I think Avi like didn't know who he was. No, but I mean, the, I think the, I remember the Battleship trailer and, you know, Avi loves action. And I was like, now that's porn, you know, yeah. to Avi because everything was blowing up and this is like the best sure. looking guy in America. Yeah. And he was like making out with Brooklyn Decker. And it was like, wow, that's all pretty hot. Yeah. You know, I want to have sex with a Battleship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but he was just awesome. But I, I don't know how we ended up with, with I, I just know that Peter was reading it also. And then when Peter... You know, Peter was a tough sell. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a really scary part. There is, it yeah, is sure. absolutely, a, it's know. unforgiving. Yeah. And I think a lot of actors who read it were like, I don't think I want to be that kind sure. of dick. Yeah. And Sarsgaard just did it and did it relentlessly. And um, he saved the movie. If not for his um, devotion to the part, we, we're dead. So he was just amazing. Okay, so but so he's he's the first attachment then? No, we, nobody else. We never really had a guy attached. We we circled a bunch of guys, um, but Sarsgaard was the first guy that you know. I forgot who suggested him. I think it might have been Amanda's agent who was like, "What about Peter Sarsgaard?" And we all flipped. And I, I mean, I yeah, I, I just knew him. As, yeah, he's yeah. just a wonderful. We went to the same high school. No, yeah, you, did. you didn't. No, he just texted okay. me. He said, "No, you didn't." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> never heard of. We did. We actually did. Okay, where did you shoot it? Uh, we shot it in Los Angeles, California. Oh, right here, locally. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Where was the real Deep Throat shot? Miami. Okay. Um, and then we ended up just it just kept getting crazier and crazier. But I just I, I was in New York and I kept getting texts like, "Hey, this is who we have for this part." And then we ended up with Sharon Stone for right for the mom. And then we ended up with James Franco for Hefner. And then my buddy Hank Azaria came on to play Damiano. And then right. we got Bobby right. Cannavale. And it just kept well, I remember getting, then That's Demi, awesome, Demi Moore came on to play uh, Gloria, Gloria Steinem, and then she dropped out suddenly. And then yeah. we only had two days to sort of. 
find your Gloria Steinem. Yeah, yeah, but the that's the part that didn't make it into the movie. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. No, but I remember it was very exciting. Uh, you know, as a friend of Andy's, uh, yeah. you know, we knew he was writing the script or had written the script. Yeah. And literally, it was like cause that was last summer that you would just see on the ticker on like CNN. Yeah. It'd be like Who you know, Demi Moore, you know, joins the cast <laughs> right. as Gloria Steinem. It just like, was crazy. It was just right. bananas. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, a track. I mean, pun intended. It's a sexy. Piece of material, right? That's not even a pun, really. But, but yeah, kind of funny. And you know who would know <laughs> that? Kind of funny. Sarsgaard would know that from high ask school. Ask him. We can ask him. We have the same English teacher in high school. <laughs> oh yeah. See now, look. Now you guys are going back and forth. Yeah, I like right. this. Uh, okay. Uh, and now, were you involved? Like, were you there? Were you on the set? Were you like? You I, know, people don't know what writers do when the movies get shot. I mean, tell us what you're doing. Writers on movie sets yeah. do nothing. They do nothing, right? Yeah. I, I, they are shunned. But you have to get on that set. I mean, like, look. All the culture <laughs> and and the intelligence and highbrow right. aside, all the bullshit aside, you still want to. I mean, on. that set. <laughs> There's got to okay. be a lot of well, shit going two on. Two things. First of all, I unlike most writers who who in their contract put like I want to be on set for X number of days. Yeah, I do not want to be on set. I, yeah, I am very self conscious. I, I don't enjoy it. It's boring as hell. Yeah, I just kind of stand around and people are like, please don't stand there. I'm like, oh right, excuse yeah. me. Sorry, I'm wrong. Can yeah. you get out of my eye? Like you yeah, feel like sorry. almost like you're out of the picture now. You know what right. I mean? Right, and it's then a, you know, Sarsgaard shows, shows up and says whatever he wants to. It has sure. nothing to do with the script, right. and it's 87 times better than what I wrote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God right. bless him. Sure. Right. And he's like, did you like that? I'm like, yeah, I kind of yeah, did. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Can you come write my next script? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so so you're on the set. So for, okay, so and then I do show up, and of course it is the first. I, and this is random, and I swear to God it's random. But I showed up for the first topless Amanda day, mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. literally mm-hmm. I'm walking up like, "Hey, Amanda," and she's putting on her robe, and I'm like, "I'm so sorry." Had you did you meet her before? <laughs> excuse me, before you started shooting? <laughs> yeah, I met her once or twice. Yeah. But now, what was the nature of that? Was that to like meet her and get her take or her ideas? And you know, yeah, for- she was. Um, she was in the, uh, you know, the table read, and she was really helpful. And she's she's just a really smart, insightful, creative creature, know, creature, <laughs> collaborator, whatever. She's actress. just actress, actor, actor. Yeah. Um, and she, so, of course, I show up the first day that she's like naked in a pool, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I apologize for, and then just ogled her all day. Close so, set. Close but now, set. like, okay, so like Sarsgaard, obviously, he's got to make a serious mental adjustment to play a part like that how about her i mean that's got to be this is the bravest most badass part because she also did it uh, fearlessly you know the, there's a lot of nudity it's a very physical part and the the truth was that um she was a not a virgin but she had, had almost no experience when she when linda had met her husband and there's this horrible story of their wedding night and him finally being like, oh, now that we're married, this is what I'm really into. And it was misogynistic and violent. Right. right. And I wrote this awful, awful wedding night scene. Right. And, of course, there's just, I don't know how this happens in, in movies, but it's like their first day together, you know? Yes, yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. And Peter's got it. I mean, he's beating the shit out of her. Mm. And we're all just sitting there just like, oh, God, oh, God. And then he's raping her. And then right. he's yeah. raping her. And it's awful. And we're all just frozen. And then we cut, and then we're all sitting there stupid in silence, and just Amanda pops up, and she's like, all right, I'm ready to get raped again. <laughs> and we were just like, God Jeez. bless you. Thank you for being so awesome. And making so. it less, you know, uncomfortable. Yeah. Because, <laughs> man. Or more comfortable. Yeah. I guess you can't say but more But she's just, she was tough and brave, and it's, she's going to- Oscar. Know, yeah, she's going to be, I mean, it's, she's going to be pushed for it. I hope, yeah. she, sure, I hope sure. she gets some recognition for it. How- did you do the blowjobs? No. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it. Other than Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman are geniuses. Wonderful directors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful Heard directors that. who are who have apparently received blowjobs in their day because it looks awesome. Okay. Okay. So uh, 
uh, was there a bidding war when you guys went to Sundance? How did that work out? Was no, there... there was no bidding war because uh, it, it was it it was the dream experience. I mean, yeah. it was just you had a great screen. Like what? Like you just had an we awesome had a screening, huge or... screening in the yeah. big house with yeah. twelve hundred people, people or whatever. And yeah. It was packed and it was awesome. Yeah. And then. And you were right. there. I was there. Good. And I was squirming. And <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, but you have an interesting perspective on it. I mean, you you wrote, a, I thought, a great article. Oh, in uh, in the New York Observer. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was that was a fun experience. Also, I used to be a journalist, and uh, yeah, actually, still are. Yeah. Well, now which we'll get to. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. Which Sorry, we'll get to tease it. We're Andy. spending. We're, you know, we're doing our thirty minute. Uh, but that's good. This is a you know, this is the big. Oh, movie I'm into out. it, Kev. <laughs> I'm into. I'm about to <laughs> swallow this microphone right good. here. Yeah. How into it I am. I, I keep hearing that this is a fun Sunday story. Okay, but right. so, so you know, we've well, been to that later. Yeah, let's tease it. Tease it. Oh no, we're on it. Oh, here we are. But you have an interesting perspective. Go read the New York Observer article. Okay, let's move on, everyone. You're sad. Today, Kev, <laughs> I, I bring that out. You Kevin. do, I you know. do. Heffernan has a secret crush on you, and, I and love you, Queen. I do. You I, him. I mean, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I always said Queen was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought you said Soder was your favorite. I thought Soder was the evil genius behind you guys. Right. I thought Jay was the worst actor I'd ever seen in my life. Could be. Could yeah. be. Could be. <laughs> and, and I thought Mink was like one of the nicest people I'd ever met. Okay. And and we know that you it's all superlatives have a crush on on Kevin. And Kev is my favorite. And yeah. me. And where do I fit? You're the dirty whore. Yeah. You're the you're the you're the sloppy slut. At least I've got all my teeth. What? Oh, no. Shut up. Okay. All right, let me pull it back to the Sundance story that I've heard so much. Yeah, we'll about. get back to that. We'll get to that. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's jump into that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, yeah, no. Yeah, go. Um, so I, 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 I don't know what the Observer story was. Just well, that was, I wrote it, about it. It, um, it was very, you know, it was, it was cool, and it, it like if it, it touched me because oh. uh, you know it. it it covers a, the Sundance experience. From yeah, start to it's finish. such a vulnerable experience. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there, and the truth is that you just never, I mean, I don't care what the what the focus groups say or anything. You just yeah. never know if your movie's any good until you, have you no get no fucking it, clue what the audience is going to do. Until yeah. you get it in front of an unbiased audience. Yeah. And this was a pretty unbiased audience. There's a lot of people in, a, like, a high school gymnasium. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No. By the way, you know, for people who don't know, there are tens of thousands of films submitted to the to the Sundance Film Festival, and so just waiting to hear if you're going to get in yeah. is is a terrifying thing. And when you finally do get in, of course you're ecstatic, and you but you and you think everything is all right then, but then you actually go into the biggest pressure cooker. Yeah, because a lot of yeah. those things you don't have, you know, these kind of independent films they don't have money to do focus groups or they don't have any of that kind of stuff. And we like our movies, we didn't do that. You just go there and that's the first time the audience sees it. You know? Yeah, we we were pretty flying blind, and you know, for every uh, for every good Sundance story you hear there are a thousand awful ones yeah, yeah, and sure. I actually knew of two two very good friends of you guys with a, with a phenomenal experience when you sold Super, Super Troopers, Troopers yeah. Yeah. versus I, Puddle Cruiser we had a terrible right. experience before that yeah <laughs> and um and then my my buddy Stu Blumberg uh, did the kids are all right and yeah. texted me he was like you know where the hit of Sundance I was like how do you I texted him back I was like how do you know and, and he texted back after like an hour pretty drunk and misspelled every word yeah. and he's like oh you know <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just that was going through my mind all the time I remember how happy you were Lemmy when yeah. when you guys had sold it and you told me and I was so angry and jealous that it wasn't happening to me and then. You know, you're sitting there and you just, uh, the whole movie, you're not watching the movie. You're thinking, did they laugh enough? And yeah, yeah. why did they cut? And I'm angry at the editor for cutting this thing. And that would have <laughs> right. been funnier. And what was I thinking when I wrote that awful line? Yeah. And, you know, every laugh was not big enough. Every sort of sigh and gasp was not meaningful enough. But from an objective point of view, it, it was, though. I mean, it was a great screening, right? Or yeah, it couldn't Objectively, have, it couldn't you had a problem with it. But. I, I leaned over. I was with uh, my wife, Kate, and uh, a dear friend, Adam Tomei, who's in the movie. Okay. And I was like, 
this is awful. And there, and Adam looked at me. He goes, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> it was just. It's going great. It's but, just, but, you know, we, you and I have this conversation yeah. often, which is like Kevin loves that first screening in front of the audience. Oh, God, I can't I wait for it. it. And I, I hate it. it. I yeah. hate it with a passion. Oh, I don't too, even want to be in there. I almost didn't sit through it. My wife's like, you're out of your mind. She was yeah. like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, yeah. so you have to go. Yeah. Right. But I, I tried to not go, and everybody was like, you're out of your mind. Sarsgaard was like, you're a fucking idiot. Just go. Just yeah. go. Um, you got to go. But so then, okay, so then and after those Sundance screenings, they have a panel where they bring up the filmmakers. Well, yeah, that, kind of but thing, even yeah. before this happened, and this was really unbelievable, but just sort of like, it, so we have this really just magical moment with Amanda and Sharon Stone at the end, and it's it's really heartbreaking, and, you know, whatever the issues were that, that separated them or working them out. And it's this magnificent thing. And then all of a sudden our, our, our financer, Avi Lerner just stands up. It's the movie still going. He just stands up and starts walking out the movie theater. Yeah. And I, and I grabbed the director, Rob, and I was like, what's happening? <laughs> oh my God. And he turned to me like with a frozen smile. He goes, I don't know. <laughs> and, oh. and Avi just started walking and I was like, what the, fuck is he doing and then he's i sort of looked over and standing at the end of the aisle was a very familiar shape i couldn't see but it was harvey weinstein right Mm -hmm. and harvey and mark gill and avi just literally harvey just pulled them outside and i swear to god he held the door closed Uh so nobody else could talk to these guys and and bought it right there that's fantastic so right on the spot right on the spot i mean by the time he must have gotten a text while he was sitting in the room said come talk to me we were on stage when uh, yeah. When people were whispering to us like you just sold it, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Was, and I and I said out loud in in a very public place, "Yeah, this is just like on Entourage." <laughs> <laughs> and again, and uh, Peter Sarsgaard was like, "Don't say that out loud." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those are the. I mean, those are the the great it moments. Was, it was one those of the, the great, great nights Sundance of my life. Moments. I was with my yeah. wife, my amazing wife, and yeah. a bunch of friends, and we went to this party, and, uh, you know, it was just... Yeah. It's it was, almost embarrassing how happy you act that you night. You know what? It, I actually, I had a moment of, like, please don't be that guy, and then I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be that guy who's drunk and laughing, because, honestly, like, it was awesome. Oh, did yeah, you no. hear the, did you ever hear the Chandra Sekar story about <laughs> when he, uh, when we <laughs> no. sold Super Troopers? no. We sold Super Troopers, and it was the first, you know, that first night, the first screening, and, and uh, the next day, it's like Sunday, and we had a friend who, who uh, was there also, and uh, she relayed the story to us, but she was walking up, you know, the, what's the Main Street or whatever, Main Street up the hill, and Jay was coming the other direction on his cell phone. And as they crossed, the quote that she heard him <laughs> saying to the phone was, I feel like I'm the belle of the ball. <laughs> That, that was the Chandra Sarah quote. I'm the bell of the ball. <laughs> that, that one made it to us before he even got back to the house. Yeah, because like, then she called us, and then yeah, when he walked in the door, we're like, here comes the bell of the ball. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. But there was the also. Uh, but that's how you feel. Yeah. You feel like the bell of the ball. But the euphoria, I mean, first of all, there are like the Harvey Weinstein story. I mean, there's so many different versions of that story. Whether oh, it's, man, it was you know, just awesome. Fist yeah. fights breaking out between distributors. Sure. I mean, sometimes you, th- these guys have to it's get heated. physical. It's the excitement of Sundance. But we had, we had a funny one, which was... Uh, you know, we were celebrating. I thought we were talking about me. Yeah, oh, but we are. We, okay. we like to break off talk about us first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'm the quarterback. <laughs> okay. And I'm Sorry. calling an audible. Right. We'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> we're coming back to you. It relates. No, we, we were having a, a party at the condo that we had all rented, and we were partying <laughs> and celebrating. And I was talking to Andre Vipolis, who's he's the driver in the in the front seat of the Super Troopers yeah, yeah, of, yeah. The, of the car in the opening scene. And we're just living up laughing, and Rich Perilla, our producer, 
gets up and uh, he stands up on a chair and he's like, all right, everyone, I just want to thank you all uh, for, for participating and for coming here and being a part of this moment with us. And I can't believe we sold the movie. And everyone cheers, and Andre turns to me, and he goes, wait, we sold the movie? I was like, yeah, what the fuck do you think we're celebrating? He's like, I thought we were just partying, man. But it's like, but you are, like, after that, it's so much tension is released. It's Yeah, I I had such a miserable time before and had such a wonderful time after. And that was this past Sundance, right? Yeah, a couple of months ago. And so so then they they put the wheels in motion. They they give you a release date. They Yeah. It's all moving forward. August. August 9th. August 9th. Yeah. And is it going to go, like... Wide or does it start small and go wide? I think we're starting wide, in or? 250 theaters okay, awesome. and it's called a day and date, which is a platform yeah, yeah. release. And yeah. uh, you know what Radius does really, really well, and hopefully would make a ton of money and make a lot of people happy. Sure. Did it? I'm assuming it played Exciting. in con. Did you go? It did not play oh, in con. Okay. No, we went to Berlin, um, which apparently was amazing, and I got snowed in by Hurricane something, yeah, so right. we we weren't allowed out, but. Uh, and then it's playing at Ischia because I think Avi wants to go to Ischia, so I'm I'm going there. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's, it's in your contract, right? Yeah. If well, we go to Ischia, I'm, I'm going. I'm Italian, so I'm there. Yeah. Andy Andrea della Croce. Yeah. Is uh, is an Italian citizen? Yeah. A fact. Oh, really? A Are you a after- U.S. citizen at all, or no? I am a dual citizen. Yeah, a dual but citizen, but okay. my best friend from growing up didn't know that until like last week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Well, because he was. Th- it was funny because he was like talking about how his son. You know, our kids are our, our, our baby boys are the, pretty much the same age. Right. And he was talking about how they just got him an, an Italian passport or something. And, and I was like, "What does he need an Italian passport for?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, because uh, you know, I'm an Italian citizen. That's you know, we're gonna go. We go all the time and everything." I was like, "Bullshit! You're not an Italian citizen." <laughs> I've known you for how many? Years? When yeah. did you? When did you get? What's the? When did you guys meet? Well, we met. It's interesting because we. I actually knew. I'm moving off loveless now. Oh sure, even though and, and it's actually right. pronounced lovelace, no, not loveless. Yeah, but isn't that the beautiful kind of irony? of Yes, it, it goes both ways. Yeah. If there's a fool who mispronounces her name throughout the entire yeah. movie, then yes, it will be ironic. Right. Well, just loveless and poetic. Right. right. Um, Andy and I uh, became friends when we were twelve. <laughs> okay. And, uh, is that what? Is well, that no. We had, I, I'd actually known him. Like his family was pretty, you know. Yeah, go well, for it. Sure, sure. Well known uh, throughout mean, New York City. Th- uh, throughout New York City, and he comes from you know from like a, a very popular uh, socialite family. Yeah. And uh, uh, my mother was the first topless photo of a photo of her taken by Richard Avedon. Wow. Uh, she was a model and an actress. Do you have that photo? I do. It's a very famous photo. Does it um, make you uncomfortable? <laughs> That's what I'm talking no. about. It makes me very comfortable. <laughs> yeah, okay. she's okay. pretty hot. Okay, um, and it hung in the at the Museum of Modern Art in New York wow. at, this, at this Avedon opening, and of course, you know, try being eight years old and having a picture of your naked mother That's hanging weird. for the public yeah. to see. That's weird. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I mean, but Andy's mom was also a countess. Okay. Yeah. Italian countess. Wonderful lady. My second mother. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. the best. Uh, and uh, so we like you know, and they were they're very open family like when uh you know in the summertime and on christmas and spring vacations they would send their itinerary to i think everyone in the school just say like hey this is our plan if you happen to be in this location this give us let us know and we can make plans or something like right, that right, right. which was interesting because i remember that like a lot of people thought that was cool but it also frightened some people yeah i i mean there were <laughs> i i think there were certain members of our school that were not allowed over at our house which, by the way, you know, now with a kid, like, that seems reasonable. Yeah. It totally you know? does. In, in fact, you know, after I'd become friends with Andy, there was a, uh, I mean, the neighbors, I'm getting ahead of how we met, but, like, Andy and I, for instance, used to play soccer on the terrace. Right. And 
the terrace at the end of it was there was like a, a like a, a wood bit, not not a picket fence but like a thatch yeah, it was, it was a, it was a fence. separating the two sure. two balconies okay. that was where the goal area was <laughs> right <laughs> so you kicked that ball into we would blast soccer balls at each other and you know it's like it would just slam into the into the the fence and like they're on the other side with having tea parties and the, right having spent millions of dollars right. live on Park Avenue the and terrace. these two assholes are kicking right. a soccer ball yeah and then sometimes a ball would come flying over <laughs> and like smash sorry the table. Yeah. and we'd come climbing over <laughs> get the that ball back please but um, so there was a fire yeah but i mean even before that like just just to go back to my family my father would go on these ridiculous trips and he would come back and be like hi boys how are you look what i got you from madagascar and he would hand us two machetes okay he would okay. hand those machetes yeah so what do you do with a machete if yeah, you're 10 you years old a sword fight and you chop the shit out <laughs> yeah. of your beds yeah so we came my mom came home and was like ah, like we had cut our beds to to was your dad just clueless about you know? No, kids he, thought, or... he thought this was how you raised a child. Yeah. No, Howie was a wild man. <laughs> Still is. Still Howie, is. he he really is. He really is. Howie is like the original '70s party machine. Like he was, you know, yeah, and really '80s. Yeah, he was. You know, he was the. He would say this with great pride that he was sort of a. You know, if there was a plaque at Plato's rest- retreat, you know, like retired <laughs> numbers or right. whatever, retired chest hair His or whatever. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Like okay. we like when when uh, I was out in, at his house in Millbrook last summer there's a photo of him and Mick Jagger okay wow. but but it's funny because it's, his, it's his back great it's yeah his back Howard's back is to the camera yeah and so it's very clearly Mick Jagger's face and then it's Howard's back but Howard has put in like a little typewritten uh, like thing me Howard Bell Howard Bell <laughs> <laughs> like, like it appeared in the newspapers was it just like they were walking past each other in a crowd or was it no, no, was at Studio 54 was it my parents were my parents were the king and queen of Studio, oh, 54. Studio 54 yeah I had my wow. 14th birthday there okay we used yeah. to go to we used to go to Studio 54 at 14 we were get, like where there were a thousand people lined up to get in right so Lemmy and I would walk up at 14 years old be hi and <laughs> people would, they would open Mark Benneke would open the, the gates and we'd get in <laughs> but I remember the, the early times it's like we would go with your mom yeah. And and she would show up bell bottom. And, and she'd be like, I wanna like bring my son and his friends and then he'd be like, Oh, really, Contessa? Are you <laughs> she's like, Yes and they'd be like Oh fuck. All right, meet us at the back <laughs> okay. And we would walk I mean we're children, you know, right. walking. Children, literally children. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um okay, so so now Andy and I we met when we were twelve. Yeah. And uh, at that time, a couple of New York City kids. Well, you know, my mother was a teacher at the Dalton That's School. Right. Yeah. And so I had a I originally had a scholarship to go there. Right. And, and, uh, but, you know, that's another story. That is another story. Originally. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I lost that scholarship eventually, pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so, like, to buy an Atari, which was had just come out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got a summer job. I saved up my money. Right. And, like, uh, you know, I bought the Atari. Okay. And, and my best friend at the time, a guy named Alex Levy, also awesome. had an Atari. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, uh, but then the, the, the misplay was that I didn't realize that the cartridges, the sure, game cartridges, the games. And were expensive. Yeah. That's and where I, they get you, Lemmy. That's where they get that's you. That's where they get you. So the game comes with combat, which is like the little tank sure. game right. and everything like that. But that The default game. It sucks. Yeah. And I had no games. And and uh, Alex Levy was like, you know, I hear that there's this kid named Andy Bellin who's, mm-hmm. who's so rich mm-hmm. that he's got duplicates of every game lying around his house because what will happen is he'll misplace one and then the maid will just go out and buy another copy and then he'll misplace that. And I, I love that my video games were like urban legend. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just everywhere. That's what they're saying. Everywhere. You <laughs> yeah. open the door. As they, far as the eye can yeah. see, I'm in the fridge. Row after endless row. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Andy and I were on the soccer team together. Yeah. And I said, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to infiltrate. I'm going to get to know this guy. Okay. 
and I befriended Andy. By the way, Holy this was shit. like he, this is similar he, to our meeting story, and he concocted <laughs> like he and Alex Levy were sitting there twirling their their mustaches, like how do we get into the Bellin House? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you you befriend him? No, you befriend yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like the Expendables. Right. And uh, so I befriended Andy, and very graciously, because Andy has always been a very uh, hospitable person. Sure. That day, he said, "Hey, you know, uh, we always hang out at my house after uh, practice. Why don't you come?" Yeah, there you go. See, I, I was not classist. I wasn't like, no, you, you right. poor you little, scholarship child. You little Hispanic, Hispanic. punk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no, he invited thief. me. Yeah. He, he didn't he know thief. that yet. He didn't know that yet. And how did you repay my, my well, kindness? And so I went over to Eddie's house, yeah. and sure enough, it was true. There were copies of games everywhere. Like multiples? or Multiples. Yeah, there okay. were not multiples, but go on. Yeah. There were multiples. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, What'd you steal? Well, and I had a great time. First of all, like we hit it off. Like We, uh, we were hanging out laughing, playing video games, laughing. I had a great time. I still robbed him blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I, imagine. I, I stole Superman. I remember, like, I remember being at home that night, like late night, playing Superman. Like, yeah, yeah. mission accomplished. And a, a game called Adventure. Remember, Adventure was like a dragon game, yeah, yeah, like yeah. an arrow. Good, yeah. And maybe oh, that's the one that uh, my my brother killed himself because he lost Adventure. <laughs> Go on. Hello. It's funny. I know him so well, but you know, I don't know. He's wait, an Italian citizen. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a Did that happen? Um, and then uh, you know, but then. Andy and I started hanging out pretty much every day, and and quickly I I stopped being friends with Alex Levy. Oh my god! Because he'd be like, "What the fuck? You're losing sight of the mission, man. What the fuck? You're, <laughs> you're going to the other side, man. I don't even know who you are anymore." And I was like, "No, oh, this guy's fucking cool." And we I'm have so a good deep time. on the cover, I've lost myself. Yeah, nah. Yeah, and so like, so anyway, we became friends. I did confess okay. my crime. Okay. Like you know what, fifteen years later or something like that. Yeah, it's right around the same time you admitted you were Puerto Rican. Well, that's, <laughs> that no, that happened a lot later. Which, if you knew that, you wouldn't have invited him into your house after soccer. No, but I what? just would have. I would have kept. I would have kept a hold of stuff. Uh, kept a better eye sure. on my adventure cartridge. Well, sure. here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, about the Puerto Rican thing, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I had forgotten about that. Was like in New York at the time. Yeah, uh, Puerto Ricans were not necessarily well regarded. Sure, okay. Um, and in our group of friends, yeah, we had a whole. I mean, it, it was a mix. We were a motley crew. Like we had a, one friend was half black, half Japanese. We know their friend was half Korean, half Jewish, and I was, you know, Argentinian, <laughs> right. self-proclaimed Argentinian. Oh, right now, if I had said I was part Puerto Rican, I would have been and, like because we were racist with each other. Yeah, like we would put each other down. Uh-huh. You know, sure, and, and like. Well, I, I won't say what we said because sure. people will take it the wrong way out yeah, of context. Yeah. But we nothing was off limits. Yeah, right. these are our best friends. Yeah, you know, yeah we're yeah. all. You can, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and so like, uh, but and so there's a point they found. Well, no, no. If I had said I was Puerto Rican, that would that would have been a huge chink in my armor. Okay, I mean that was you know because they would have gone. After Meaning me. they just would. Have, I mean, in a good natured way, they would have made fun of you. Well, it's, it's not like, like they would have ostracized you. Somehow. No, they would never have ostracized okay. me. But like. But like, I mean, they they actually called me Puerto Rican anyway. Like, right. that, so that, the that's the part that, was, that always made me feel slightly better was that you know you were by default Puerto Rican. He really so. was Puerto Rican, and yeah. So so there was never a truer word said. Yeah, it was. Fa- and, and Andy was like, we like you know he was half Jewish and everything. Our thing with him was that he had fake teeth, right? And, and that he was balding. Right. And, and like I was, I was balding at like sixteen, and my right. father never had hair. Yeah, right. he was as bald and the fact good. that I looks ha- good now, bro. I know the fact that I have hair is such a tremendous disappointment to Steve Lemmy. I cannot <laughs> tell you, he ripped us off. 
he 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 wanted the bald he, head. He has had he has like teed up. I resent this. <laughs> it was bullshit. He he denied us of right. our right. You want to see him bald? Well, we he, would always talk about it. We'd be like, like it's gonna happen. It'll happen. It'll probably point. happen. You know, in my it'll happen. But it looks terrific. It looks great. It looks terrific. It's Propecia. It's Propecia. Did you guys know that you were going to high school together? Did you know that you end up in high school? Well, I mean, the school was you know K through twelve. Oh, so you start. Okay, gotcha. So even at 12, 12 years old. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now, now to be fair, so like all the thievery aside and everything, Andy and I also had slightly dysfunctional families, and uh, that was something we bonded about. Mm-hmm. We also uh, had a we liked to smoke weed. Okay, there we, you go. We bonded about that too. at age twelve. Uh, we started smoking weed around <laughs> thirteen. Age I think. thirteen. We went to uh, we went to Jamaica together. Raise your kids in New York City, everybody. <laughs> We what, are you, what are you, at thirteen? You guys went to Jamaica together? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> with who? Bellin's parents, uh, Bellin's yeah. mom and grandma, and okay. grandma. And the best thing about it is, my brother, God bless him, um, was, you know, my brother smoked some weed in his yeah. day, and mm-hmm. uh, as as did I. But we were coming back through U.S. Customs, U.S. Customs, mind right? You. I mean, right. U.S. Customs, and Lemmy and I are walking back. You know, two little stupid kids carrying her right. lacrosse. Age 13, 14. 13, 14. Okay, and gotcha. Marco, my brother, who's already like passed through security, he's like, don't drop your lacrosse sticks, guys. And we were like, why? And he said, because they're full of weed. <laughs> and just kind of like ducked through security. He's like, bye. Uh-huh. And then we were drug smugglers because my brother thought it was so funny. he busted you. No, no, no. He, he 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 just did. let us know. He let us know oh, okay. before the fact that we were mules. Right. Okay, got it. Okay, <laughs> like, got it. You never were caught, but you, we did not get caught. But you had I mean, some. You know, th- weed those are some this. liberties to take with, sure, with a couple of thirty-four-year-old brothers. And also, like, if you're going to do that, prank. Why tell us right before we're going exactly. through? It's to freak probably out. the worst possible time. Clearly, yeah. just to freak you out. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's my brother. Yeah, but so like you know, we would get stoned. I mean, also, and I will say this: this, you know, I give Andy shit about being rich. Yeah. And I hope I don't get emotional because you know I always cry. <laughs> I always cry oh my when God. we talk about the high school days. No, no, he Andy, cries all the time. He would inv- he would invite me on vacations, and I'd be like, right. I can't go, and he'd be like, I'll pay for your plane ticket and your hotel, just pay right. for food. Right, 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 right. And so I would go. You know, uh, like eighth grade was Jamaica. I think ninth grade was St. Croix. You keep a tab on this guy or what? <laughs> oh, dude, what's the tab at right now? I'd like to, you don't even want to know. I mean, there's some point you got to pay that shit off. It's no. a child. It's a child. It's a child. Yeah, he let me keep my firstborn, but I think the next one is his. Yeah, uh, but so okay, so so uh, and Andy also had an open door policy. Like I said, a very hospitable guy. Like his was the door that was always the front door was unlocked. I actually didn't have to call to go over there, and nobody did. We would just show. Yeah, and up. my mom took great care of all my friends. Yeah, she would. They would just walk in, and she would just like nice um, photograph. Well, no, Allen. actually, well, actually, the first time I went over to to their house. You know, this is the first time I met this stunningly beautiful woman, and she mm. said, uh, "Okay, Andy. Well, I hope your new friend doesn't uh, mind the sight of a naked woman because I'm going to take a shower." Hello. And then, like, you know, I saw her walking around a little while later. Yeah, she naked. She, these were very progressive people. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I was into it. That's good. That's, well, that's how I. That's how I envisioned growing up in New York City yeah. as a kid growing up in, in Connecticut, snorting and, coke and yeah, uh, right. getting high at thirteen, naked ladies, flying to Jamaica, and, and naked ladies, yeah, and Studio Fifty Four, yeah, Studio Fifty Four, sure, yeah. But so you know, I mean, it was. But I would say this: like, a lot of the best adjusted people I met in high school in terms of drugs were the kids from New York City because they'd been through it. They'd yeah, I stopped doing drugs probably, I mean, for the most part, other than the prescription kind, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, probably at the end of high school. Yeah, right. you were done. Yeah, no, you no need. been there, done that. Huh? Been there, done that. Yeah. Um, so high school. So high school's good. Yeah. You guys were, um, you had some high-profile friends out there in high school. 
There were a lot of well. I mean, that was a pretty well-to-do. Uh, <laughs> That's a great transition. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's a well-to-do school. There were a lot of children of celebrities. And yeah. A lot of uh, you know. Anderson Cooper went to your high school. <laughs> he did. I like what you're doing here. Jeff. Was he was yeah. he a friend? Of, was did you guys hang out with him or was it? He was a couple. He was a year or two older. Year older. Uh, year older. Did he than have you. two? Did he have? Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Lemmy. Hello. Lemmy was in a couple of different years. I know. Yeah. Even in high, in college, he was too. What uh, did he have? Did he have sh- shockingly white hair back then too, or was no, he, uh, he was, was it brown? Really was it red? Was it dark haired, handsome kid? Very nice. Not Lemmy. I'm talking about Anderson Cooper. Oh yeah. yeah, no, that's who I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, dark hair. Okay, did he have dark hair? Really? He did. He was in. You guys call him Coop? He, you know, he kept. I mean, I guess he's out now. I mean, he 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 is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Is he? Yeah, he he is. He, no, is. he absolutely okay. is. He absolutely is. Are you sure? Oh, he absolutely. <laughs> is. Yeah, he absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. He he. We weren't friends. I mean, he was older than us. Yeah, but uh, he was a... Uh, he was friends... He, he was friends with, you know... A, a bunch of girls. A, <laughs> that had nothing to do with <laughs> He him. was, though. I'm just saying... He was. He was friends with... The, we yeah, weren't... The he didn't... Crew. Yeah, we, we weren't on his radar. We were young, stupid okay. kids. Yeah. Okay. He was yeah. good friends with, with Dylan McDonald. Yeah. A lot, and, a lot of the cooler, older kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, we... I mean, we certainly knew him. Everyone... It was a small school. We all knew Until he would, he kind of knew who you were, and he... I would think we, uh, so. Well, I, I'm, I'm we doing this because we of together. the story that happened We've with We've partied Bellin. with Anderson Cooper. I've, I've partied with Anderson Sure, Cooper. sure, yeah. In, yeah. Your, in the day, back in high school. Back in the day. Right. And then... Um, oh, you guys came over to my house. Do you remember that? I, I do. You and Anderson? Yeah, we... Uh, yeah, me and Anderson and, and Dylan. Dylan. We're, <laughs> we're partying. Partying. Yeah. We were partying. You are doing some partying. And uh, it was pretty... Showed up at my house. Yeah. yeah. Partying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, 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 but there's the story now that involves Bellin about you crossing paths with Anderson Cooper in our current day. Yeah, which uh, which I love that story. Okay, so so we were we were writing a, a script for Universal, uh, for Universal, and uh, where we play some college professors. Yeah, and, and it was very close. It was very close to getting made. We were in the casting process. Very close to getting made. And one of the things we you know we were trying to cast up. Is this the Greek Road. This no, was, it's called Rogue Rogue Scholars. It was called yeah. clever. You guys are clever. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Playing words. The lizards. You like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, it's about you know a bunch of rogue professors. I get it already. You know, I get it. You don't have to say it. Twice. I get it. Yeah, but we so we wrote that the alumni, one of the alumni uh, members of of this school, one of them was Anderson Cooper. Right. As a cameo, you know, we wanted and we wanted Anderson to come play this part. Yeah. Right. And a cameo in this movie. Yeah. And so. You know, because I had told the Broken Lizard guys that, you know, I went could, to high school with him. Went to high school with him. And so they said, do you think you could call him and just see if we can get him on board now and, uh, like, see if it's okay to write this character? Right. For Let's him. get him attached. Yeah. Anderson Cooper. The guy's hot. This is like two years ago. Yeah. yeah. We were all at my house having yeah. have a writing meeting. And I yeah. said, well, I don't actually have a way of contacting him, but uh, Bellin actually might have his number. Because he's you know, talks to him every once in a while or something? or. I'd like to hear the answer to this because I have spoken to Anderson Cooper since graduation twice. Okay. And once I ran into him in St. Bart's in an airport after a hurricane, and we were both like, fuck, that was wild. Huh? Okay. And well, then... well, here, okay, so like, uh, simmer down for a second. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so like, uh, so Andy, I texted Andy, I'm like, do you have Anderson Cooper's phone number? Right. <laughs> and he texts me back, yes, I do. Right. And I said, do you think, uh, would it be cool if I called him? Do you think he'd remember who I was? And, he, and Andy said, yeah, absolutely. Of course he would. You guys partied together. Right, right. And so I said, uh, so Andy texted me his phone number. And right. then I said, will you call Anderson and, and just clear it with him? Let him know I'm calling and then text me back to let me know it's okay. Right. And he said, yeah. 
And then a few minutes went by. He said, okay, texted me. I just spoke to Anderson. He's expecting your call. Right. And so we're sitting in the room while these texts are going on. I'm like, this is exciting. Holy shit. Bellin's delivering. Boom. Like that. Anderson Cooper's expecting Steve Lemmy to call. <laughs> and so Lemmy called him. Yeah. And we recorded it. You did. And we have that recording. And this is not like a bit. This is we literally were like, we got to fucking record this call because it's going to be awesome. And yeah. we did. So, I, so like I had my landline on speakerphone and all the other lizards are in the room. <laughs> my heart was pounding. For my heart, I was so like uncomfortable and nervous about it that I got up and walked out of the room and stood outside the door and listened in because I was these those moments made me uncomfortable. You know, like I, I thought it would be an uncomfortable moment. And then I guess what happened was you said that you, uh, Andy Bellin, you said yes. that he was expecting the phone call. Yes. And that and may you, not have been. The, and here we go. So yeah, yeah. let's. So, Katie, will you play the. By the way, I've never heard this. So okay. This is, probably okay. This is the Anderson very, Cooper phone call. This is going to make me very. Okay. Is it exciting that we have it? It's I think good, it's exciting. It's going to make I'm me listening, If I'm listening to the podcast, I'm like, this is fucking great. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's do the call. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> all the lizard guys are in the room here. That's Stolhansky. Yeah. Once bitten, twice shy. Uh, Anderson? Yeah, this is Steve Lemmy. How's it going? Very quick. <laughs> I thought uh, Andy had called you to, uh, Andy Bowen called you to tell you that I was uh, calling you. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, you know, I was nervous because I wasn't sure if you remembered me. Uh, of course I did. Okay, good, yeah, because, uh, you know, we, we hung out. Uh, <laughs> listen, I was, uh, you know, I'm in a group called Broken Lizard, and uh, we've been uh, writing... In your movie. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. I hope uh, I hope you liked them. Uh, the, the, the police one I liked a lot. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. The others, not so much? Uh, Fucking uncomfortable, and you know, listening to it in retrospect, you're like, okay, maybe it's not that uncomfortable. It was, you know, it was 
totally awkward. And I think the fact that like Bellin said that he had teed it up, and then we get on the phone with the guy, and it's like. I don't know what you're talking to about. Caught by surprise. Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, my heart went in my stomach, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And then they did the phone call, and then we sat there for, you know, half an hour talking about how funny it was <laughs> and the moments, and then Stelhansky pulls out the recording, and then it's like, holy shit. But it did it did take the steam out of our writing session. We never yeah, got that back was it. to it. We were, that was <laughs> it. it. it like, I went home that night, I was like, told my wife about it. I was like, holy shit, you should, let me call Anderson Cooper today. He's on the phone with him. It was the funniest thing I ever heard. Okay, so anyway, yeah. So then, take it from there. So, so that then, night, so that we're night. like, holy shit, that was a. But I was just, I was like, I'm fucking calling Bellin. Right. That's some fucking bullshit right there. Right. Set me up like that. Right. And uh, you know, I called Andy, and as it turns out, he had just given me his wife's cell phone right. number, which I had called, and then he had picked up, and Andy was Anderson Cooper. And, and Andy Bellin. That, a- that was Andy Bellin. Imitating Anderson Cooper, and by the way, that is a terrible Anderson Cooper. I think it's quite good. No, it's Bellin. not. I think oh it's quite God. good. But, no, but the funny thing is, is that then, like, we got you on the phone the next day to talk about it. Well, like when I told all the guys, right? Because we were like, <laughs> like I said, we went home. We were like, told why is the Anderson Cooper thing, blah blah blah, and we're like, oh, this is unbelievable. And then the next day, let me reveal to us that you were pranking. Him. Yeah, and but, I, we were like, oh my God. But and then when we when we spoke to him, and then we listened to the recording. Everyone was like, holy shit, how could we not yeah. know? Sounds it's just like Bella. It's me. Just like Bella. <laughs> I didn't even do anything. I just... And so you gave him the wrong, like your wife's phone number, and then he called, and then you just picked up the phone right about, and just, you know, just went into it. Do you not know what really happened? What do you mean? He does not know. Are you kidding me? There's one final piece of the puzzle that I've never told you, Queen. He was in on it. Oh, you were in on it? I was in You're on full it. of shit. You were in Are on it. Are you kidding me? He was in on it. You were so awkward that... I know, but you know what? Yeah. Because the thing we were texting back and forth, I was like, okay, Bellin, you're going to like kiss my ass mm-hmm. and make it seem like you're a huge fan and everything like that. And then he turned it into <laughs> that fucking thing. <laughs> what what happened okay. was he... he <laughs> I didn't know this part. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> Hold on a second. I know. Me. We've been saving this. Well, bullshit. We've been saving this for three years. You've been saving yes. this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What? So, so what? What? So he texts me and he's like, "Do you have Anderson Cooper's number?" Right. I said, "Sure," and I gave him my wife's number. He calls. Right. I answer the phone and I try and do an Anderson. But but, but he knows it's going to be you. No. Okay. I, I just give him a number. He calls and and I try and do an Anderson Cooper imitation. I'm a terrible actor and right. it sounds nothing like Anderson. I start laughing and he right. figures out it's me. Right. But then he says, will you do me a huge favor? Mm-hmm. Will you just play Anderson for, for the guys? <laughs> okay. Oh, because we, we – didn't we have we, – oh, because we made – there was the first phone call. But there was a hang-up or something, right? Or? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, that was that, – That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. So he knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So then he played along and asked me to do it to punk you guys, which I did. Okay. Yeah, and now the truth comes out. I don't know if I believe that part of it. No, that no, 100%. I, I swear to God. <laughs> okay. But, okay. but the, the plan was, I was like, you know, you got to make it seem like, of course, you remember me, and you're a huge fucking fan, <laughs> and, and I, I, I love to do it. I went off script. I just thought it was more realistic that way. Sure, He sure. came in with that, like, and and so that moment where I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you didn't know where to go. <laughs> well, the plan has suddenly been changed. <laughs> okay, and, okay. And okay. I've got Anderson Cooper on I can line, maybe so. buy that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, All right, man. so wait, so then... Although I will say, hearing that recording, it actually, it's so real because of it is like, real. discomfort. Like, it does make me uncomfortable. Right. It sure. made me uncomfortable because it sounds like me. It doesn't sound well, like me. why didn't you reveal that four days later when we were having a good laugh about it? Why did you wait until now? <laughs> because, like... Which I'm still skeptical about. No, no, oh, but... It's, it's 100% true. Yeah, okay. because, okay. like, uh, it was so good. Yeah. It was great. 
And we were getting so much mileage out of just telling that story to people. Sure. Okay. You don't want to puncture that. Thing. I was like, it's so nice. And like, I mean, it's like, Kevin, when I would... It gives all the accolades to Bellin, though. Uh, that's fine. Because that's be- like Bellin took you for a ride. That's, oh, he what, did... that's how I believed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess he still did take you for a ride. He did take me for a ride. Yeah. yeah. He did take me for a ride. I felt... At the time, I actually was feeling it. I was like, fucking Bellin. <laughs> I had a fucking plan here, and you're fucking it up. All right. So because like, I'm like, fucking Anderson Cooper. And then the next day, I'm like, fucking Bellin. I should have been fucking you. Well, you know. But like the thing is, I would look into your eyes when you'd be telling the story to yeah. everybody. Right. And there was such joy. And people would be so into that version of the story. Right. As they probably were just now, like listening to the things. I like, hope so. I don't know. Katie, is that a good thing? Phone call? <laughs> okay. And the At, reason I did, I mean, first of all, I found it so preposterous that he thought I had Anderson's number. Who, Anderson's a very nice guy. I've sure. seen him twice connected, in my life. You're connected, Come on. You're connected, And he's buddy. a very nice guy, but I didn't have his phone number, so I thought I might as well. But I don't, I don't feel like that. I mean, you keep in touch with a ton of people from Dalton. And also, you know, and, and we'll get to some of this, like in your poker playing days. I mean, you, like you have a lot of celebrity friends. So it didn't not seem... Not if I talk about them, I don't. <laughs> sure, no, no, so I, I won't talk about them. But then, like, uh, it didn't seem, like, so far-fetched. Yeah. That, that you would have... Anderson Cooper. I mean, I believed it. Right, well, you're, you know, you went to... What do I know? Yeah, you went to public school. I know, I'm not that smart. <laughs> yeah. Boys Catholic school, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's our Anderson story thing, which was exciting. Do you remember, by the way, uh, our wrestling days? That we were the... You, you remember pin brothers. We sure. were the pin brothers. Andy and I were the pin brothers. We were undefeated in high school. In high school. We, we pinned our way through, uh, through wrestling. Did you guys, like, uh, wrestle against girls' schools or something? Or? Oh, boy. No, wow. you did up Whoa. with that. But Gloria Steinem would like to hear you say that oh, who again. Who cares yeah, what you, Gloria I'm, Steinem wants? Let me give wants. Catherine McKinnon a call right now. Do it. I'll go to the Hague. Fuck it. I got a law degree. I went to high school with Peter Sarsgaard. You're a great lawyer. You're a great Thanks, lawyer. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, all right, so let's talk. How did you get into writing? Uh, I had a really weird background in writing, which was that I went to grad school for physics. You remember that? How stupid that was? Like, what you went a waste to grad of... school for physics? <laughs> I swear Physics to God. and astrophysics. Like to Wes- Wesleyan and to Columbia for a wow. semester. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Hey, do you remember we were, uh, we were just in Baltimore, and that DJ said, uh, when I said, oh, Kevin's a lawyer, he, he passed the bar in two states, and he said, uh, well, they were like New Hampshire and uh, Wyoming, right? and I chastised him. I said, yeah. you just belittled Kevin Heffernan. No, I was setting him up. To, to, uh, that's what you do. You set people up to work you, man. Come on. Oh, Jesus I, I Christ. I, I'm too nice a guy to do that. So. I know. Lemmy's not. Right. This is my best friend. My talking to him. Yeah. This is my best okay. friend. Okay, so Columbia Physics. Why? I like him more than I like you. I don't care. He doesn't like me more than me, but I am his best friend. So just, I know. just okay. every time you guys are on the road and you're having a great time, it's like, yeah, wow, just, remember, where's just, Bellin? just keep in mind yeah. that he's thinking, I wish right. Bellin were here. Sure. It's true. I would prefer... I Bellin was here. I would prefer yeah. Andy's company. Yeah. I know. I know. That's just okay. Saying, whatever. I have no illusions. Now, Kevin. Come on. I love you, too. Thanks, man. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. You're, my, you're my favorite of the lizards. Thanks, you know man. Thank yeah. you. He prefers you to me. That's yeah. good. How does that make you feel? Well, I just I'm more mysterious to him than you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Back to Bell. Come on. Yeah. Let's yeah. Go. So uh, I went to grad school for, for physics and astrophysics and wow. turned into, I actually published papers and, and shit. Wow. I'm not kidding. And I was a, it turns out, a very mediocre scientist. Right. And Does any of that shit still stay in your brain, or can you, or is I, it gone? Is it all gone? It's all gone. Okay. And it was, I'm not even sure it was ever there. I mean, it was no, sort but of it was a dodge. For, it was good for bar talk. Yeah, it was, it was like a pickup line Pick for girls. Yeah. I'm a rocket scientist. Yeah. I'm a double, I'm oh, no. a physics and astrophysics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. actually, I am a rocket scientist. Right, like, right. You know, oh, no, no, I am a rocket scientist. No, actually, yeah, and my dad still says... 
My father loved saying that so much. My son, the rocket scientist. My son is a rocket scientist. Okay. That when I quit, and people would say like, "What's Andy doing?" It wouldn't be like, "Oh, he's writing for Esquire or whatever." He'd say, "My son is a failed astrophysicist." <laughs> <laughs> That's what he would say. Okay, all right. That's Howie. That's Howie for you. All right. So you dropped out to write then, or I you... left grad school. Yes, okay. I dropped out of many prestigious universities, sure. and then I ended up working for a, a company called Global Green, which was this. Uh, sort of uh, environmental startup company that worked at the UN. So I was working at the UN for a bit and they actually had me do some writing and I'm desperately in this. Lemmy can make fun of me about this. I'm desperately dyslexic. Really? Okay. So much so that I cannot learn another language. I can barely read and write. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. The irony is that he physically can't write. Tell me you have something. I, well, I have your, I brought your, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll post a photo of this on our Facebook page, but this is Andy Bellin's uh, signing of my uh, yearbook. All this? From our, yeah. Okay, I'm not going to read all that. No, okay. you don't have to, although I, I, <laughs> I did want to just read a little excerpt uh, from this. <laughs> oh, great. He said, uh, uh, so only be you are my best friend. <laughs> oh. To a lot of people, you are just a cute, talented, funny Chicano. Nice. <laughs> that but, was good. But to me, you are a lot more. What a oh, nice guy! That's nice. nice. Is it all oh, the letters backwards and everything? Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, look I mean, at that! Look at that penmanship! It's it's terrible. By the way, that would be if today I would be happy if my handwriting looked like that. How does it manifest itself in your writing? I mean, is it well? It, I was lucky enough to go to the Dalton School in New York City, sure, and they took great care in sort of tutoring me, and I ended up sort of becoming proficient. And what was amazing was that I started writing these the stuff at the UN. And it was really like like I had a latent skill, like I was James Bond's son, and all of a sudden I knew how to plant bugs somewhere or something. I was like, right. oh, I, I've always had the skill. And I started writing and really enjoying it, and I asked a bunch of friends who were writers or editors in, in the literary scene, what, what do I do if I want to pursue this? And they said, immerse yourself in it. And I literally applied for a job at a literary magazine, uh-huh. and this is a guy with a physics degree. I've not taken an English class since 1984. And I went to the interview at the Paris Review in New York City, which was at the time the most uh, sort of vaulted literary magazine in the world, run by George Plimpton. And I went and I interviewed with George and I conned him. I said, the future of your magazine, Mr. Plimpton, is the Internet. (laughs) And he went, good God, man, Bellin, you're hired. And he hired me on the spot. And of course, I knew nothing about the Internet. So I hired somebody with what they paid me to do my job. Okay. And I just kind of hung out there, and George took a liking to me because I could drink scotch, and I knew pretty girls, and I played tennis. <laughs> and he just kind of kept me around, and I was originally his assistant, but I was wildly an efficient assistant. I remember he came to one of your birthday parties and just sat there with a glass of whiskey, just looking around at all yeah, the, all the tales. He, he was at all the parties. He, I mean, he was such a great guy, and he couldn't fire anybody, so once you proved incompetent, he promoted you. Okay. <laughs> so I was his assistant, and he was... It was for When We Were Kings. Did you guys ever see that documentary? Best movie ever. Okay, so I booked him for that. And, of course, with my dyslexia and the fact that I'm lazy and stupid, I booked him the wrong thing. And he's like, you know, he came back drunk as a monkey. Like six hours later, he's like, Bellin, you sent me to this thing four hours early. I was like, oh, shit. And he's like, you're lucky I found a peep show. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, well, at least that worked out. Um, Did you ever write anything for the... Well, the review, you didn't write. You just edited. The review was a collection of short stories, interviews, and poetry. So you weren't really writing. I wrote some author introductions. I wrote the Woody Allen introduction and Ted Hughes introduction, things like that. But what George did was that when he took a liking to you, he sort of mentored you. And he said, you know, I really want you to try and write because you have this 
what he used to say, uh, an entertaining way about you, (laughs) Uh, which meant that I was funny when I was drunk. Um, And I started writing fiction and George pulled me aside and he was like, Bannon, you're terrible. (laughs) This is awful. (laughs) And he said, you know, try, try writing about yourself because you're usually funny when you tell a story. And, um, and I did. And he was like, this is it, man. This is it. Bloody well done. And he helped me publish a bunch of stuff about me. Okay. And then in in his vein, you know, George was famous for playing 14 different professional sports. And what he did was he immersed himself in the topic. He, you know, he went and played professional golf or uh, paper lion playing quarterback. And um, he told me to do that with the stuff I knew, which was poker. So uh, right around the year 2000, Esquire sort of gathered all of its writers and said, what do you want? What did you always want to do before the turn of the century? And some guy was like, I want to get in a bar fight. And other guy's like, I want to fuck a model. And I was like, (laughs) I wanted to play in the most mobbed up poker game in New York City, this legendary game downtown. And I was a very good poker player. Go on. Uh, Go uh, on. Go on. Scary. A dog came in here. It's a very nice dog. Um, It's a cute one. Um, So I I went and played in the poker game and I wrote about it. They set you up in that game or what happened? Yeah, it was a $10,000 buy-in and I went and played. And Escort gave you 10 grand. And, 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 you know, they were like, these are pretty serious guys. What kind of Where where was it? Uh, it was at a club called the Mayfair, and, and it was this old New York City card club that had been around forever. And it was a legal game, or was it a legal game? Legal, well, legal, or legal? that's always been a gray area. Okay. You're allowed to play poker, but you're not allowed to. It's yeah. called the promotion of gambling. You're not yeah. allowed to be a third party taking money off the table. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it was illegal. They were running an illegal card club. Okay, okay. But, you and know, what kind of people are they? Are these like uh, not the people you see on the uh, on the World Series no, of Poker on ESPN? This, these are hardcore. This, this was back when, you know, when poker was people's dirty little secret. This sure. was, you know, before the World Poker Tour. And but are they like businessmen or yeah, are they, they were, professional they were poker lawyers players? They mob and, guys or what? Yeah, all of the above. All and strippers above. Okay. And, and, you know, right. bike messengers. And it was a really cool, eclectic group of people. It was one of my favorite times in my life okay. um, getting to know all these people. And then I went and I played and I, I told all the guys, I was like, look, I'm writing about this. I'm going to protect everybody's and, you know, I'm going to protect, change your names. Yeah, fuck you will, kid. And they were like, yeah, you don't got to do that. I was like, are you serious? Oh, yeah, who cares? We're playing poker. So I wrote about it and I got a reputation around sort of the New York literary scene as the guy dumb enough to do anything. Right. So they're okay. like, we need somebody to eat fire and write about it. Who's dumb enough to do that? It's like, call Andy Bellin. He'll fucking do that. Yeah. So there was this legendary Miami pimp named Ron Eppinger. Okay. And Ron had sort of run girls in Miami. He was like the Miami Heidi Fleiss for a lot of famous people. And he had, uh, he, he avoided some FBI sting and was moved back to the Czech Republic with like eight girls named Yana. Okay. And started emailing everybody. And he was like, dude, if you guys thought Miami was nuts, the Czech is just off the charts. And Esquire got a hold of the story, and they're like, who's dumb enough to go interview this guy? It's like, Andy <laughs> Bellin's dumb enough. So Esquire, Esquire sends me to the Czech Republic. It takes me a couple of days to find the guy. If you've ever been to Czech, it's an old town square. It's a beautiful building, this whorehouse. Okay. So I'm sitting in this whorehouse. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't decide if I'm going to tell the guy I'm a journalist or what I'm doing. And I'm sitting there, and out of the, one of the rooms with the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life walks a dude I know from New York City. No shit. Really? And he was sort of a low level, and I guess I could say this now, sort of like a scummy uh, Hollywood producer. Okay. And he was like, holy shit, Andy, what are you doing here? And I was like, I know what I'm doing here. What are you doing here? He's like, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> it's not and I explained what I was doing, and he was like, well, 
it would be best if I wasn't mentioned. But you know what? To, to, to make this not a waste of your time, maybe you can write a script for me. Okay. <laughs> and that's how I sold my first movie. That's, how, that's how movies get done in a here whorehouse. in Hollywood. In a whorehouse in and the Czech what, Republic. What was that movie? What it's a movie that? called A Penny Earned. That actually I turned remember into- a penny. No. In fact, Kevin and I remember like there was a moment where we talked about like helping you formulate that pitch. Probably. I mean, the, the, main, the main actress was named Penny, right? Yeah, and it was, it was actually a pretty... T- I mean, it turned into a good script, and it ended up actually being bought and had actresses attached. Didn't get turn- ma- did it get made? Or- no, okay. but it went through like it, three iterations, and different people kept auctioning it. it was, every five years, somebody would call and be like, I'm going to auction that. I was like, okay, sure. And just as a writer, I mean, like uh, you, you made some transitions there. You, made, you went from writing these articles for Esquire, then all of a sudden you're writing screenplays. Was that... Did it you was teach pretty, yourself how to do that, or did you? Yeah, did I you do that? did. Uh, you know, Lemmy actually had it was sort of a he- ahead of me in that he had. I think you guys had already sold stuff or yeah. whatever. So we ended up writing a script together. The first thing I ever wrote, we wrote together and actually got like some buzz, but never sold. It, it made it to the final step. Oh, I remember that. It was actually, that. Yeah, DNA Inc. The DNA Inc. It actually made it to to Fox mm-hmm. to Peter Rice, and that was the that. first. And I, he sort of taught me how to how to write scripts. How to write it, yeah. yeah, and and did you was there one that you prefer? Did you prefer the Esquire stuff? Did you prefer the script writing? You know, I I miss having. And it, it was funny because when I went back and started writing about uh, when I, I wrote something for the New York Observer, um, I really enjoyed writing it again. Um, yeah, had I known, I'm really happy with my career, so I, yeah. I, I'm thrilled to be where where I am but yeah I'm gonna always write other stuff too I mean I, yeah. I'm working on book proposal now I'm also five years six years late on a book <laughs> Herbert <laughs> Collins right um, but I, I've enjoyed the whole process so and I think I'm so but you predominantly write scripts more now I do that's my job yeah, you know yeah. that's 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 my job but you've um, had I mean you've had interesting, interesting stuff like I, I always love the story about your grandmother yeah, that my grandmother who and this was is an article that you wrote for no, this was actually it turned into a movie. But um, my grandmother, who was one of the great storytellers of all time, Countess yeah. Alicia Pavolotti, would you know you would just she was just the most charming and offensive and wonderful woman I'd ever met in my life. And you'd be like, "Hey, Grandma, I'm writing a book on poker," and she'd be like, "Oh, you know, it was a terrible poker cheat." You know, steal my money, Nixon. And you're like, fuck <laughs> you. You didn't play poker with Nixon. And she, you know, some of the time was true. And there were other, the, these these sort of nostalgic yarns that she used to spin about my family. And I have a sort of wonderfully, his, like, strange history in my family. And that she used to always say that my great-grandfather taught Helen Keller to read. Okay. And I was like, no, I've seen the movie. <laughs> I know who did that. Yeah. And then I ended up inheriting my great-grandfather's library, and there's all these beautiful leather-bound books, and out of one of the books falls this letter from Helen Keller. Okay. And it's written to my great-grandmother on the day that my great-grandfather died, and just sort of professing her love for him. Uh And I was like, holy shit, like, what is this? Wow. And it turns out that he sponsored a bunch of her education. He paid for it. Okay, okay. Now, of course, my grandmother had to, you know... Yeah, she turned it into... A, B, Z, you know, like (laughs) in the stick in the mud or whatever it was. Um, and it turns out I actually wrote those letters. Bada <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, No, I've seen I've seen that that yeah, one it's letter. Framed, yeah, framed. Yeah. Um, so my grandmother used to always say that she was a race car driver, and you know when I was a kid I wanted to be center fielder for the Yankees. And, right. You know, was just, she a race car driver? It turns out she was. Okay. <laughs> okay. And it's pretty. When, it's amazing. When she passed away, yeah. 
Um, I was mysteriously willed the contents of her, the basement of her, it was basically a garage in Rome. We had a house in Rome. Yeah. And this, I didn't think much of it. And then a couple of months later, this giant shipping container shows up in my house in LA. Yeah. And out rolls a 1954 light blue, baby blue Porsche first series Carrera. Holy shit. And it has not only in it, the still red African clay, right. but in the in the in the bonnet, and that's the front of the car there without an engine. Okay. In, you know, know, as we like to say, sure. um, in your circles, yeah, in the, <laughs> you know, in the effete snob circles sure, that I run sure. in. I'm um, with it. That uh, there was this briefcase, and in the briefcase were were the pictures from the greatest race I'd ever seen, which was the, something called the Rally Le Cap, which uh-huh. was started in Algiers, finished in Cape Town. Three weeks later, and in 1956, whatever it was, they literally drove across Africa. Right. This is before highways. They were driving across deserts with oil cans as sort of mile markers and shit. Right. And it was a race of you know a woman in a Porsche and a guy in a Jeez. Ferrari and a guy. What in year was it? This is 56. Okay. And it's all the pictures of it. And right. I swear to God, they were, they'd gotten to places in, in, in sort of the Belgian Congo that like had never seen white people. It right. was so I I called my uh, but hadn't didn't Porsche. Sponsor your grandma? Yeah, like, like, we're still first? trying to find. I mean, okay. that was th- they were the only female team, and we're you know my grandmother said Porsche sponsored, and we're right. still trying to figure that out, especially since she got the car in Italy. So right. <laughs> it's kind Does of it function like the car still. Or? Well, here there, there's a that's a whole. Other oh, okay. we'll get back to that. Okay, yeah, well, um, just tease it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I took the case and I went over to an old friend of ours named Nick Stein, who I was represented at Broder at the t- Bob Broder's company, yep, like sure, one of the yeah. greatest men on earth. Yeah. Um, and I took it over to Nick Stein, who's Cameron Diaz's agent, and I said, I know Cammy likes cars and stuff, and I showed him the stuff, and I had his great pitch of my grandmother's race across Africa, and I went and pitched Cammy, and she hopped on board, and right. we went and sold it to Fox for a right. ton of money. And it was this great script, and it's actually—I mean—I go back and read it. It's a pretty terrible script, uh-huh, uh-huh. but it's uh, an early script that you I mean. In terms yeah, of I like, wrote it in two thousand five. Gotcha. Or I'd okay, write okay. it today. It's yeah, just it'd be different. Yeah. By the way, that is when we go back and look at DNA Inc. The oh, script that we wrote hurt, together it yeah. hurts to watch. Like it's at the time we were like, "It's a brilliant script." You go back now, and it reads like Tango and Cash. Like it's sure, so painful, with our characters quipping at each other. Yeah. And, oh man, it's That's so the fun painful. thing about it. It is the fun. So thing. they didn't make that movie. They didn't make the camera deal. They didn't, and every once in a while, somebody reads it and like, "Holy shit, we got to go get this thing out." It's got like. A couple of million dollars. Get a safe it. read in it, bro. I just sent it to her agent who hasn't called me <laughs> there you back. Go. There you go. <laughs> By the way, I would like to say it. So Andy and Nick Stein and Cameron Diaz uh, were at a Yankees game, and they were sitting in Alex Rodriguez's box Okay. a, uh, a year or two ago. Okay. And Andy texts me a picture of Nick Stein flipping me the bird. Okay. Says Nick Stein says, fuck you. This is like okay. an amalgam of stories, but yeah. I mean, okay. all of this is true just at different times so far, but yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, what did I... What was my response? Oh, to that? that was the best thing ever that you ever did in your life. Yes. Within like seven seconds, uh, let me text back a picture of his dick. Okay. On the yearbook page of Nick Stein's sister, <laughs> basically okay. his dick on Kathy's. Oh, that's excellent. You know, and how did Nick Stein really respond to that? He, you'll never get. You'll never be at CAA, pal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk yourself out of a career. Yeah. Enjoy your boutique agency. Yeah, you'll never work in this town again. Yeah. Um, but he laughed as that. I mean, it was it was just the immediacy, and it was just it was a perfect <laughs> response. It was an immediate response, right. and it was definitive. It was like that's it. There's not. There, Nick was like, and but you. I mean, oh, there was nothing we could do. It was just over. Perfect. It was game set match right there. Yeah, it was so, good. It was good. Okay. We, we, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little about the poker book. Oh, just book just to, let me okay, let, let, yeah, let yeah. me button this yeah, thing, yeah, which sure, was sure. that. Uh, so the car 
that my grandmother's car sat in my driveway in L.A. for about a year, and you could see about half of the car from from the street. Okay. And one day I'm playing golf, and and my girlfriend at the time called me. And was like, um, "There's somebody at the door." I was like, "Well, answer it." She's like, "I did." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, what's the problem?" It's like. It's Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what does he want? And she was like, he, he wants to buy your car. And I was like, he doesn't know what it is from the street. And she was like, no, he says he knows what it is. Uh-huh. And Jerry is has an encyclopedic knowledge yeah, yeah, of Porsches. Cars, yeah. Not even cars, just Porsches. Porsche, he yeah, knows yeah, okay. every Did, Porsche ever. Didn't sure. he build a, a garage for his Porsches in New York? I, that, yeah, you know, that's the wife's style. I don't know him very yeah, well. Okay. Um, yeah. But... So then I, I sort of got on the phone with him, and he was like, oh, Hey, Jerry. <laughs> I think it kind of went like that. Uh, I think yeah. I probably called him Mr. Seinfeld. Yeah. But, um, Hello, Mr. Seinfeld. <laughs> and he was like, I want to buy your car. And I was like, it's not for sale. It's my family's history. And then he made his offer, and I was like, sold! <laughs> you know, and I sold it right there on the spot. So he, he owns it now. He owns it. He's put... I mean, Probably close to a million dollars into restoring it. And it's, it's a beautiful taken, car. It's taken six years. And have have you seen it since that he I have does not, work? I've seen, or? Pi- I've seen pictures. Yeah, I have pictures, not. Yeah. I've not seen it. Does he restore the cars himself, or does he hire? He got a guy. He's got a guy. He's got guys. He's got a guy. But, but yeah. if not for his largesse, there would be. You know, I mean, I mean that's awesome, man. Yeah, he's awesome. He's, I mean, you could. Hey, can I? Sit in it once in a while. Yeah, I, I I have too much class to do that. But maybe you it's should. Your grandmother's car. I don't. I mean, yeah. I don't care about it. It's your grandmother's car. You know, I'll run into him somewhere and mm. say something. But before we talk about the book, I just yeah. I, I want to quickly talk about you're, you're writing now. Uh, you're you're pitching a movie with a writer named Eric Roth. Yes. Uh, who just to give a quick rundown? Greatest on American screenwriter ever. Yeah, he wrote uh, Suspect with Cher and Liam Neeson, Forrest Gump, Horse Whisperer, The Insider, Ali, Munich, The Good Shepherd, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Wow. And a thousand other things. I How mean, do you hook he, up with a guy like that? Through friends. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, I got friends. <laughs> I, I got some friends. You know, I, they, they had an open project and he, 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 he's producing it. He doesn't want to write it. And he met with a bunch of writers and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sort of took a shot. And now he is going to write it with you or no? I'm going to write it and he's going to oversee gonna, it. Gonna, yeah. That's a good guy to oversee. But so, yeah. but, so you guys are, are pitching this idea around. I, I love the idea, but we, we shouldn't talk about it, obviously, because yeah. you don't yeah. want to give out your ideas. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, you and I started talking about, I asked you, like, about pitching versus spec writing. Okay? Yeah. So, so like, for a spec script in Hollywood is when you actually just write a script for free without meeting with somebody, and then you try to sell the, the entire script. A pitch. Now, the gamble on that is that you put all this work into it, and then you don't sell it. That's sure. the downside. Yeah. And, yeah. and then a, a pitch is that is when you put together an idea for a movie without actually writing the script and you go around to the studios and you say, this is my idea, this is how the story will unfold, do you want to pay me to write the script so I don't have to do that work? Right, right. and here, here's the main Those character. Those are the two ways to go. And there are ups and upsides and downsides to both those yeah, directions to go. I, and I basically, I don't, unless it's TV, I pitch TV and have a great track record of selling TV and just not having it ever get made. Hey, so do we. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a frame shot. They've spent millions of dollars on me writing sure. stuff. Sure. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's the beauty of the business. Yeah, I feel terrible. I mean, I feel terrible about it. I don't... Anyway, so... but Not your fault, man. Uh, well, at times I feel like it is. Um, so I, I try not to pitch movies anymore unless, like with Eric... You know, you're going around with Eric, and it's it's a big deal, and everybody, you know, comes down to meet sure, him. And sure, you want to meet that the, guy. Yeah. yeah, he's the yeah. greatest American yeah. screenwriter ever. Yeah. Um, so it it has been a, a really unique pleasure. But I've gotten to a point in my career where I, I had an idea that I had had I had about a two month period between 
landing the job with Eric and then when we were going to pitch because he's so busy, he's writing Cleopatra and it's just, you know, and yeah. the guy's doing everything. Yeah. And I had two months to kill and I was thinking I was going to pitch something and I thought, well, in two months, instead of wasting two months on a pitch that'll probably not sell, why don't I just write a script? Yeah. And it took me less time to write the script than it was to create the pitch. Sure. I, mean, I don't know how much you guys... No, no, that's always the case. I mean, you, you, you end up spending a lot of time putting a pitch together just because you, you don't want to miss your opportunities. And then you realize maybe I could have written, written it in that sure. time. You know? Well, then because you start to give – you practice your pitch on your agents and managers. Ah, and they say, and they say, you know what's missing from this thing? Uh-huh. You could really use a better nemesis or really better, a better driving force or a better engine. And so you, you're like, ah, oh, God, I don't want to think of this goddamn thing. And so you start just trying to come up with these random plot points. Yeah. Whereas when you're writing a script – when you just outline the script to write it, whether it's on note cards or on a piece of paper. You're working that shit out anyway. And you're finding out where your holes are, and you're like, okay, I could use something like this. I could. Yeah. And so you're spending the time doing the same thing in a and much so that's more. the conclusion that you came to. Yeah, and I ended up writing a, a script, and it is, you know, I, I, there was, I, I think that there's a definitive moment in a screenwriter's career. I, I think a lot of early screenwriters, when you're first selling stuff and you sell your first script, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see this on you know the screen and it's yeah. not going to get made it's yeah, so hard, hard to get yeah, stuff yeah. you don't know that at the time um i used to write the script i was writing a script and i was like this is the one <laughs> this, this is, is it, baby. the script right and then at a certain point i i sort of became a professional and i'm a you know hired gun and i rewrite stuff and um and then i stopped writing the script and i just started writing scripts and it was my job and i got good at it and yeah. some of it's really good and some of it sucks and i'm you know embarrassed to read it and then i ended up uh sitting down and writing this script in six weeks okay that is the best thing i've ever written in my yeah. life this because the, there was this is the eric roth script or no no this is a yeah i don't want to talk about the okay. plot but yeah, it's sure, just sure. it's old school and badass and mm-hmm. moves and it's kinetic and it's exciting and it's I dramatic it. it's good okay it's so good and it's because a i had no pressure b i had all the time in the world and c it was uh it was an exercise in proving to myself that this is something that I enjoy, yeah. that I'm no longer doing this for money. I'm no longer, I'm doing this for me and hopefully it'll sell. And then I think the release of the pressure and that it was no longer like, I think every writer sees every assignment as some crucible that if you fail, it just destroys your self worth. Um, that I just enjoyed it to, to such an extent that it, it really friends of mine who read it was like, you like, I can hear in the characters how much you enjoyed writing them. Yeah. And as I'm describing this to my wife, she starts laughing at me. And she's like, what? I was like, what? And she's like, you sound like you wrote the script. <laughs> I was like, I, I did. I did. It's the script. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty badass. Let me read it. So. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. And the other thing I also want to talk about is uh, Giuseppe Tornatore. Yes. The director of one of my favorite movies of all time, Cinema Paradiso or, or Cinema Paradiso. Si, si. How was that? I mean, this, uh, is a, this is a real, like, European filmmaker. So, wait, what's the deal? You, you wrote a script for him? I'm you... rewriting, I'm okay. rewriting a, a script that Giuseppe has spent, like, nine years writing. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, about the siege of Leningrad. And I, I love Giuseppe, and he's, you know, in a weird way. I mean, Eric Roth is, is an icon, but he's a human being. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can sit and talk with him. Giuseppe, because there's sort of a language barrier, and he lives in a different country, and he, you right. know, he was doing You're stuff. You're Italian, bro. I am, but it, I don't live there. And you know, he was doing stuff with Sergio Leone and stuff. That yeah. it's, it, it was so intimidating to deal with him. And then they hand me a 200-page script that is the most dour, depressing thing ever. And they're like, 
make it funny. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, just you know, pick it up a little, you know, a little laugh here and there. I was like, punch it up for us. It's the siege of Leningrad. It's nine hundred days of starvation. Right. Like people are eating each other. It's like make it funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like life is beautiful. It is so sad, and Giuseppe is such an amazing writer that it's heartbreaking. Every page is heartbreaking. And also, they're like, okay, it's a 200-page script. They're like, I don't know, something in the 130s. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sitting with Giuseppe. Ballpark. I'm sitting with Giuseppe, and everything I cut, he goes, Andy, why you cut that scene? It's so strong. <laughs> Every scene. Andy, so strong. Why you cut that scene? I got to cut fucking 90 pages right. everything and he's watching me because so he, you're doing this in front of him yeah he's old school okay, okay he's old school i am a galley slave sure. i am nothing i am a piece of shit to this man <laughs> i am just there to piss on his art right okay so literally i'll i'll sort of like turn the page and he'll be really happy that i didn't touch that page he'll go like, nice <laughs> very nice and then like i'll reach for the pen and he'll go like oh <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why don't you read it with him not around? Because it's his script. What am I going to do? Like go into the closet? You it's know? like hey, you watch it, you know, watching a movie with someone who made it. You know, no, but this is this is great because Andy's telling me about you know he's pitching with Eric Roth, yeah, and how you know I was like, and who does the pitching in that thing? He's like, well, you know. Eric Roth is like, you know, I really don't feel like, I don't really like pitching. Why don't you just do all the talking? <laughs> it, so it, he's it, with this giant heavy hitter. Right. And, and Eric's sort of sitting in the background going like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> and today he actually was like, you know, I don't, we were using that analogy. I don't think that's going to work anymore. I was like, we're in the pitch, Eric. <laughs> and he just kind of changed directions and it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And everybody was just hanging on everywhere. I was like, and there you go. Yeah. There's Eric. Mr. Eric. Well, there's the thing like, you know, 30 years from now, yeah. when you're like, you know, you've written everything under the sun. Right. Yeah. I mean, some little... There's some fucking snot nosed yeah. writer. <laughs> little kid from the Paris Review comes in who, yeah. you know, he's like, yeah, I got the job to rewrite you, pal. <laughs> You're going to pull all the same shit. Absolutely. Okay, if I have like one-third of Giuseppe's career and one-eighteenth of Eric Roth's career, I'll be happy with that. So. Fair enough. All right, let's talk to poker. Talk poker. Yeah, you want to talk poker? Sure. Just, uh, just let's, let's you know, hit that book. Is that book, right? Poker like, Nation. What year? Poker what Nation. Year? 2000? 2002. And it, and, it, and it grew out of writing that Esquire stuff? Yeah, so or? I wrote that Esquire article and then... Uh, like, let me ask a question. Are you a... like? Prior to that, were you a great poker player or a lover of poker, a, or what did you yes, think? Yes, I was a I was a student of the game. Okay. I, in grad school, a lot of the mathematicians would play backgammon poker yeah. um, because they felt like they had a st statistical advantage, which was true, sort of in stud. And then, as soon as Texas Hold'em took shape, it was if you can count to forty eight, you're as good as everybody else. So. Sure, okay. But it's interesting though because I remember one time you put you entered me into an online poker game. Did I? Yeah, and you and you said uh, you you were like here. I'm I'm just going to teach you some of the like the nuances because you know it's like you, you you watch the professionals and then there are you know all the the tells and all that stuff sure, like sure. that. We're playing the game and I'm like about to make a bet. He's like, no, no, you don't want to do that because here's what's going to happen. This person clearly has this thing. This person over here, this bitch got it. She got this thing. This one's he's definitely got an ace nine. I'm right. telling you, that's an ace nine. Right. Right. And I was like, what the fuck? How do you know all that? And he's right. like, look at the way they're betting. That this person's doing this, and sure enough, it's like I, he's Boom. like, don't do that bet. Don't do that bet. Yeah. I did the bet. Yeah. And sure enough, everything, everything he said, including the ace nine, came up. I was like, how in the fuck do you know that? And do you know just from playing that much? Or from... Well, in that case, we had Anderson Cooper in the other room. And right. He, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Call back. Yeah. But interestingly, okay, so in the book, Poker Nation. See, I have, I have, oh, okay. this is actually, yeah, this is great. I okay. have an issue. Okay. In the chapter on tells. Okay. 
So this is a, this book, Poker Nation, uh, by Andy Bell. Two thousand two. HarperCollins two thousand two. Available on Amazon.com. Go get it. Yeah. Amazon.com. An excellent book. As I was in Barnes and Noble one time, and like it was in the window. This book was a big deal. Yeah. But it's about you in, in a tournament, or the, or just the the, the, no, the no, nature I mean, of playing th- poker. This is not like if you're if you want to become a better poker player. This is not like this doesn't teach you how to play Ace King under the gun or anything right. like that. This is an, this is narrative nonfiction. It's anecdotal. It's about my experiences playing poker, but right. other people's experience playing poker, and also sort of it's. An insightful look into the life of a poker player okay. and also my unique take on it sort of being a rich Upper East Side prep school brat right. sort of mixing Played a lot of with, poker and yeah okay. um, alright what, what do you got this is yeah, there's a chapter in there with Steve Lemmy in it yeah yeah okay. and, and it's the chapter on tells okay and I take an exception for this but I, I do want to plug the book a little bit so, okay. so here's, here's the, the, the little uh, prelude to this chapter it's a, it's, a, it's a saying here a guy walks into a bar and notice, it's a joke a guy walks into a bar and notices three men and a dog playing poker. The dog is playing beautifully. That's a very smart dog, the man says. Not really, says one of the players. Every time he gets a good hand, he wags his tail. That's a tell. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, this is the way this chapter starts out. And okay. this is what I take issue with. Okay. okay. Umbridge. My close friend Steve and I spent the last week of August 1984 up in the Adirondack Mountains at my grandmother's place. Even at an awkward 16, Steve had a fantastic gift for finding women to date, no matter where he was. He had a girlfriend at the time, to whom he was supposed to be faithful. But for as long as I've known him, <laughs> that sort of nominal monogamous commitment has been inconsequential. Bing, 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 bing. That's your wife reading that. <laughs> Literally, his wife just texted him. Yeah, yeah. I hear that shit. <laughs> On this summer trip, he managed to conjure up a female companion out of the limited population of Paul Smith, New York, and proceeded to spend most of his six-day vacation with her. The night we got home, Steve and I met some friends at a restaurant, one of them being his girlfriend. He walked up to the table and kissed her passionately. She looked him dead in the eye and said, I can't believe you cheated on me again. After the obligatory exchange of accusations and denials, Steve finally confessed to his infidelity and groveled for forgiveness. (laughs) I can see that. A few hours later, she accepted his apology. Wasn't high school great. And they went on to another glorious three weeks of being together. After receiving absolution that night, Steve asked his girlfriend how she figured out his indiscretion so quickly. Easy, she said. First, you didn't look look at me while you were walking over to the table. You were staring at the ground the whole time. Second, you kissed me like you were some porn star. And to top it all off, once I accused you of cheating on me, all you did was smile and blink. I looked over at Steve while she was saying this, and sure enough, he was smiling and blinking like crazy. (laughs) Steve had, as it's known in poker, a tell. Okay. All right, and what? That sounds cool. Why do they take every issue? The with entire story is fucking bullshit. That's <laughs> I bet there's, there's. It sounds to me like there's a lot of. Truth there's a lot that. of truth to it. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, yeah. On the on the next page, by the way, I appear as a different Rube in the story as Tom <laughs> Lemmy. Okay. So he just split my name <laughs> well, off. That's the okay. Two. The guy's got it right. You know what I mean? Come on. Um, I I will say that the best thing about that is that when when the book started sort of building up, uh, yeah. sort of reputation and publicity. The Atlantic Monthly, which is my favorite magazine, yeah. um, excerpted a part of the book, and they excerpted that one, that chapter. Awesome! So it was only read by like millions of people. Uh, and did you? Uh, uh, is that book detail you playing in these high-profile uh, no, tournaments? This, this or was pre, pre that. This was pre-LA, okay. and most of the you know this this helped light the poker boom fuse yeah. a little bit. Yeah. This book, a wonderful book by a guy named Jim McManus, uh-huh. um, called. Uh, positively Fifth Street, and then the World Poker Tour uh, suddenly getting on TV, sure, and then sure, you can see people's hold and, cards yeah. and right. hold cards, and you know there was always a right decision or wrong decision. It just right. became uh, immensely popular, and it overtook what were the sort of cigar clubs and, and golf games, sure. and it was 
it became how guys were spending their afternoons and evenings. Yeah. And then when I showed up in L.A. and I was trying to sell my stuff, there was a young group of Hollywood guys who were sort of learning the game and yeah. I, I sort of stole their money. No, yeah, I made, <laughs> I made some money, but the truth is that two of these guys are like the, the best players. Two of the, two of these guys are top 20 players in the world. Oh, know? okay. And these are famous. I think one or two of them have gone to the world series of poker. Yeah. But that doesn't mean anything like yeah. two of these guys. Any one one of these guys games. may, may be the most profitable poker player in history. And um, would we know that guy if you told us his name? Maybe, but I'm not going to tell you his name. No, you don't have to. I'm saying, but we, we know the guy. But now, Probably. like, inside the <laughs> poker world, what is the feeling? Because before these days, like, all right, for instance, the World Series of Poker, I mean, yes, you had to beat a ton of players. But now, I mean, you have to beat, what, like, a thousand yeah, times now, more players. Yeah, now there's so much. I mean, back in the old day when there were 100, uh, 100 guys playing in the World Series, it was a real test of skill, um, but nowadays, there's so many people and there's so much time devoted to playing in a specific tournament that to to win the tournament, you have to make a terrible decision. Say, I've got the better hand and find out you don't. You have to be a 10 to 1 underdog 10 times and win. So you have to get lucky so many times to actually just be considered at the end, at the final right. table, that it's just... It's not. It's not quite the 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 test of. Skill but don't you usually see a lot of the same guys in that. Not really. No. I mean, no. Uh. If you look at the final table, it's usually one pro, and it's like, oh, I know that guy. It's like, yeah, you do. But <laughs> yeah. the, the eight hundred other pros got knocked out. Yeah. You know, it used to be that it was always Phil Helmuth or Eric mm-hmm. Seidel. Those are the two probably the two greatest, greatest. Yeah. poker players ever. And what about the story I was just reading about Phil Ivey, who was accused by some casino of of counting or cheating at baccarat. Oh, I didn't know that, but you know, Phil is a Phil's a very smart kid, um, and he he looks to exploit casinos' weaknesses. I don't know who he is. Is he like a he's, big poker he's, player or something? Yeah, he's a, a, an enormous poker okay. player and a fearless kid and a very smart guy. They, they call it's it's actually annoying. They call him the Tiger Woods of poker, and it's mm-hmm. only by virtue of the fact that he's black okay. and good looking, and yeah, and, uh, okay. uh, he's very good friends with my with a dear friend of mine named Chris Lorenzo, okay. and you know, Chris tells me stories that. You know, Phil looks to uh, looks to exploit casinos' weaknesses, and he hates casinos. He hates that they have an advantage, and if he can hurt them, he will. And I think that's a, a glorious ambition. Yeah. So, all right, all right, all right. Bell's one funny, one final funny Bell and Lemmy story before we walk here. Well, let's see. I mean, there's um, well, there's the uh, the video game fight that we got into. Oh, the, okay. I like to hear that. That's that? good. This one. was like okay. I'll, well, I'll tell the story then. Okay. <laughs> It was uh, back in, like, 94. Yeah. We'd just gotten out of school, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like Sega NHL Hockey mm-hmm. had been released. It's one of the greatest video games ever. Maybe the greatest. Mm-hmm. And Andy and I, we, we lived on West 86th Street. Right. Uh, just a block away from each we other. We would stay up. Mm-hmm. I have the best I lived on West 86th Street. We, we would stay up all night drinking and smoking. We, well, not even smoking. Just smoking cigarettes. Smoking probably. cigarettes. Listening to, like, the Soundgarden Super Unknown album. Listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And playing video section, Playing this hockey game. Yeah. Which was great because they had you could actually save all the statistics and you could play a full season and we would each play. We weren't allowed to play with the Rangers because we're both Rangers fans. So I'd play with the Red Wings. He would play with the Blackhawks. Okay. Somebody else, another friend of ours, played with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. And uh, we would just play nonstop till the sun came up every single night. Then what happened? Then what happened is I got a girlfriend and so like I stopped showing up for for to play the games. Okay. 
And Andy started getting really mad at me. <laughs> okay, okay. And then okay. finally he said, you know, one time I'm just I'm going to invite you to play hockey, and then I'm just going to stop inviting you. Mm-hmm. And then I heard he was having a party, and he didn't invite me. This is true. And I this yeah. And then I went over to I went over to Andy's house, and he was like, "Oh, I didn't realize you were going to be here. Only my real friends oh, showed up. Really? Or something like that. God, and, this is awful. And then we didn't speak for six months. Is that true? It That's is true. humiliating. It over is. a hockey game, over a video game. Well, yeah. The best one was that I, I was working at the UN at the time. And there was some night that we were up all night just getting hammered. And then I got a phone call. They were like, hey, you need you to come into work. It was like 6 in the morning. I was drunk, hadn't slept. I was like, sure, I'll come in. And I had lied on my resume that I was fluent in French. (laughs) (laughs) And I I have like 87 words of French, and none of them are appropriate for a mixed conversation. Um, And they were literally like, we need you to sit in. The translator's sick. We need you to translate and transcribe what this, you know, like, I don't know who it was, like Mitterrand is saying or something. And I literally had to stand there for four hours, sitting there with the headphones on, pretending that I was transcribing what he was saying. <laughs> started a pre- war. Pre- pre- uh, seriously, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that some, like, poor refugee didn't get his... <laughs> and then uh, the next day they were like, where, where are the notes? Uh, and I said I left my, subway, my bag on the subway. Uh-huh. And my boss, who had smelled booze and saw me falling... This that's your tell. That's your tell. Yeah. <laughs> was like, is, is you, are you going to stick with that? I was like, yeah, that's my story. I'm yeah. sticking to it. And then I was fired shortly oh. after. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. I remember I had a very uncomfortable situation at Andy's wedding. Uh, or not Andy's <laughs> wedding. Uh, at Marco, at Andy's brother's wedding. Uh-huh. Andy pointed out a guy, and he was like, see that dude over there? He played... Uh, it wasn't... Was it World of Warcraft? There was another, the first like real serious giant role playing game. I played a ton of Warcraft, but this is. Like, I, I wish I could remember the name of the game. But like he, he said, this guy played that game so hard, twenty four seven, that eventually he just sort of passed out and woke up in the hospital a few days later. He had been in a coma for like three yeah, he days. Had a seizure, mm-hmm. and I went up to him and I was like, "That's so cool." <laughs> <laughs> and I went up to him at the wedding, and I was like, dude, I just hear, like, you fucking played this video game so hard that you woke up in the hospital three days later. And he's like, this isn't fucking funny, man. I lost my wife. She walked out with the kids. I lost my job. Fuck you, motherfucker. Oh, Jesus. And walked away from me. And I was like, and that guy was? I will not say his name, but, but you know, Lemmy was Mr. Video Game Guy. He's, he was sure. Joystick. I was Joystick. Sure. So yeah. even when he was like, yeah, but that guy lost his family. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's how much video Way game he go. can play. Yeah. That's true. That's and that true. guy was Anderson Cooper. And that guy. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Bring it around. Let's wrap it up on that. All Let's right. chew it. Let's chew it. All right. Let's do a little chewing. Thanks, Bellin, for joining us, man. That was fun. I, I hope you had a good pleasure. time. I did. It was I very nice to see you guys. Good luck with Lovelace. Thanks so yeah, much. August, August 9th. 9th. everywhere. Get out there. VOD. Lovelace. Everyone August go 9th. see it. Go yep. see it. Yep. Get Poker Nation, too. Poker True. Nation. Great book. Yeah. So Everybody seems to like it. Yeah, yeah. It's good. And deliver your next book. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, you, and, my, you and my editor both. Yeah. Um, I'll get on it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com. dot